0: Oh, cool. Okay. Back. Hey everybody, welcome to the Growing with Fishes Podcast, episode 195. This week we have Roger from I Love Growing Marijuana. How
1: y'all doing? Glad to be back.
0: We have the one and only original Mr. Green Jeans
1: Garden. <laughs> Thank you so much, Glad. Great to be here. Not to counterfeit Mr. Green Jeans, the real <laughs> green. <Jean. laughs>
0: And uh, Marty will be joining us in a bit. Um, We will be uh, next week, hopefully going back to more of a guest-focused schedule. But uh, I've just been beyond busy trying to get everything going here. Springtime is always busy time for anyone in the cannabis industry. You know that. So, uh, yeah. Um, I thought we'd go over what everyone's puffing on real quick. Um, I thought everyone would like to know I'm puffing on some aquaponic chronic sugar organic innovations you can find that at your local dispensary in oklahoma if they don't have it ask for it yeah some really nice concentrate all grown with uh aquaponically so make sure you check that out Uh, i'm steve from Ponics. if you aren't familiar with the show thanks for joining us so it's been a while since we've had you guys on the show uh what's new with you uh roger
1: Well, first of all, I want to say what I'm puffing on is some Island Diamonds. I'll say thank to my friend out in Oregon for that. It's very nice. It's a bunch of of smaller buds, a whole whole thing of buds with no stems. How about that? So, and I'll tell you what, it's got, it's killer. Um, I've been also, I had a friend of mine had some, I can't remember the name of it, but it was Alaskan something the other day and I couldn't stop smoking and now I'm out of it already. But, um, yeah, things have been going great. Uh, well, you know, it's not about cannabis, but I, I always have to mention my, my wife has just come out of a major surgery and she's doing well. So all your friends out there that know about that, I'll just say that and move on. Uh, things are going pretty good. We're redoing, we're, I'm finally getting to rebuild and restore my farm this year. I got a great partner who's also a, a friend of the, um, you know, the uh, regenerative organic cannabis conference uh, that we all went, you know, had last year and had to cancel this year um, after Humboldt, uh, because of the COVID-19 virus, so sorry we got missed all my friends in Michigan, and sorry for you people up in Maine, I'm, I know yeah, all of you were looking forward to having, being at the conference, and, and hanging out, and so that was, that's my only vacation of the year, so I'm very sad about that happened, but we had to be safe, you know, and, uh, I just think of stories, all I keep thinking about is stories from last year, you know, but, um, the farm's going good, uh, we've decided to hold off on our hemp permit till next year uh, because there's just a little bit too much complications going on in our state uh, and they're not going to give us any leeway is, you know, because of the virus. So deadlines have come up and you can't get things done with government agencies because nobody's answering the phone or some of them are either way. You all have your own issues in your own area, I'm sure. So, uh, you know, just suffice it to say, we're having a lot of issues dealing with the, even though they're trying with government agencies and doing stuff like that or uh, we're, we're having a problem with that. So we've decided to bypass that. So we're going to grow food again this year. And we're going to have, um, we're going to start off, we're going to leave my greenhouse, original greenhouse hydroponic, but we are going to be, I've already been building hugel beds and we're going to do some aquaponics grows and uh, and and we're definitely going to be practicing natural farming. Other than the hydroponic system, which will be running the rest of my um, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of stuff I had before that's in the storeroom. Instead of just throwing it away, we're going to do that. And I know that goes against the concept and the, of what we believe in and how we're growing now and especially what the show is all about. But we're going to do aquaponics. We're do, heavy in the natural farm. We've got a lot of inputs made. Uh, we've been really enjoying that and I enjoy teaching that to people. I'm not an approved teacher at this point, but you know, I don't think it's uh, you know really that bad an idea to teach people how to make FPJs and labs and stuff like that. Um, Of course, shout out to Chris Trump. I always tell everybody, you might as well buy a bottle of Chris's OHN because it takes about five or six months to make it. So you might as well buy a bottle of it right up front. And for the price of it, it's excellent considering the breakdown in the ratio you use to water. So we're gonna be going with that. I'm not sure we're gonna have a terraced garden for vegetables, we're gonna have, I'm not sure what we're going to do with the aquaponics yet. I'm not sure. I probably, I might do like what I like to do as a test garden where I'll have some different beds that I grow from leafy vegetables to fruiting vegetables. So I get to check out and kind of dial it in and see what's going to be best for us in the future. Instead of just saying, I'm going to grow this and then maybe it's not successful. I'm going to see what really reacts best in the system that we build. Uh, And we're not going to do go overboard right off the bat, but I think we're going to do the other side of it. I've really gotten into the the culture beds. Really have me just blown away, and it's I've got so much, so many down trees from hurricanes and so much good dry tree debris in on my land that I'll be able to build a bunch of really awesome beds. And so we're, you know, I'm kind of doing that because you can do that by yourself you don't need much help doing that. And then we got to, I got my partner, shout out to Ryan, my partner from, from James Island. And he's going to, you know, we've been working together to to build our systems and get everything put back together. So basically that's about it. That's about all I'm doing is uh trying to get back on my feet and uh, become a, you know, full-time commercial grower again. And uh, we've been having a great time got a couple new clients even after we started and told people we were going to be reopening i've already got a contract grow going so i'm real happy right. about that and a couple of air markets that we've been asked to to bring our produce to once we have it so um great. i'm real happy in that respect so yeah steve that's what i'm doing right now and i i don't i don't i probably got some other things i could think of but not fast enough to keep the show going so i guess i'll give it back to you and mr
0: green what's it what's up with you mr green jeans it's been a while since you've been on the show tell us what you've been up to i'm sure you yeah, got all man. kinds of cool stuff going on
2: i'm so sorry uh, yeah yeah I, I guess i mean it's not it's not that great let's see i've, I've got my i've got my uh, my vape going now somebody gave me a uh an riser. it's pretty nice and i got some jack career some flower in it nothing real exciting but yeah it's the real deal it's the old you know it's an old uh, 20 year old clone of Jack career and man it's really nice every time I smoke this I'm like holy moly this is really good uh yeah just getting ready for the summer season you know um I guess I'll probably be growing in at least two or three different people's backyards around here or maybe three or four around here in the Los Angeles area helping people you know with their backyard grows and stuff like that so that's going to be a lot of work. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. I've already been last this last couple of weeks, you know, making clones and getting ready and, you know, so it's kind of like a, I've already got a, a certain number of clones that have run outdoors already these last couple of years and which we know are, are good. But then also, you know, you want to try all other new ones too, you know, and, and we're a little bit, we're a little bit farther South. It's like we were, me and Steve were talking before the show you know, and he's got, he's, he's, you're much further north there in Oklahoma is much better, uh, is more central sort of, you know, um, drug cannabis range more for the latitude, I would say far from the, where we are here is getting pretty far south and we don't have a very long day in the summer. And some plants, you know, I have some, some really wonderful plants. I have this one, you know, plant that, the, such a nice plant, you know, she has a name, Chill Jill, you know, she's part, she's like related to Jack Carrer. she's like a 50% Jack Carrer F2, down from that cross with my white wizard, and you know, such a nice na- plant that she has her own name and everything, and I've tried growing her a couple times outside here in Los Angeles, and it's no go, even if you set her outside in the middle of the summer, in June 21st, and the longest day, she's pretty much going to start flowering i think our day length might be longest day it's only 14 and change i don't even think we got 15 hours i'm, I'm,
0: I'm oh so, I'm, so i was wrong we actually before him we're actually at, we're at 34 degrees. Oh,
2: yeah. yeah you're pretty close um, to me i thought that and, I think you were that much further north
0: yeah i don't know why before it was coming up different but you're at 30 you're at 34.05 uh, okay. and we are at I must have put in the, the wrong city.
1: And we're oh, not far, right from, we're so not I'm far at
0: 33, from. I'm at 33.9. And I'm on that same
1: line too. Even in South Carolina, we're right yeah. almost straight across from Southern Cal. So. Yeah. Well,
2: yeah. this is getting really pretty far south as far as the drug cannabis, you know, traditionally grown usually a bit north in most parts of the world, I think. So I know mean, yeah. we're already kind of pushing the, the southern limit a little bit. I definitely have noticed some plants don't like it that much. So I'm also, you know, trying to mess with, I think that's one of the reasons why I like the, the Fayjoa Kush, we have done it outside a couple of these times last couple of years too, that it's done really well here, you know, even though it's pretty far south and pretty, pretty, um, you know, Mediterranean here. And it's more of a, definitely more of an indica dominant, a real Kush type, which I would think of as more of a Northern strain. But anyway, yeah, um, getting ready for summer is going to be really exciting. making a lot of um, this. I, last year I did a lot of plants that I that I used absolutely no food just to just to, to make a point. like I grew that one plant. I think I did a, um, let's see it was the SLB, so that was across. That was a super lemon haze and cherry bomb plant. And I think I did around 11 and a half ounces or 12 ounces in a 2 gallon container. So so it was a two it was in 2 gallons of dirt in the backyard in the container. And I didn't feed it at all. It was only with whatever food went into the container to start with. And I would say about 50% of that container soil, maybe no, maybe more closer to 33% of it was just basically yard soil or, you know, not definitely not compost but you know backyard backyard dirt uh with a fair amount of clay in it and stuff like that so um, yeah it's pretty cool uh you know just kind of to, to make up a, a point about how you know you don't really need a lot of fertilizers and things like that like how easy it is to grow a cannabis plant in your backyard if you just concentrate on on good watering you know repot it a few times it's really all you need to do um so I mean that was like what it was. Uh, twelve out, twelve ounces would be three quarters of a pound, right? Something like that. So I think it was eleven and change. So it was close to close to three quarters of a pound, and out of two gallons.
1: Not bad out of a two gallon pot. Out of a two sure. gallon
2: pot, right? Right, <laughs> right. And uh, you know, with no no fertilizer at all, just just with water, you know, just with whatever wow. was in in the dirt in the soil, no add no added fertilizer. Although the soil, you know, was was okay and i i'm really into bone meal lately i don't know maybe you guys can talk me out of that but (laughs) bone meal is a good because phosphorus cannabis plants are really hungry for phosphorus you know what i mean and uh i think bone meal seems to be a really good source of it i noticed they seem to eat a lot of it that's one of the really good things about recycling your your potting soil if you recycle potting soil a lot because I think the bone, bone meal doesn't even become the nitrogen of the bone meal. You know, I'm sure there's all different, different things in it and stuff. But the nitrogen from it, I think, becomes available pretty quick. But maybe the phosphorus not for a couple of months. You know, maybe it really doesn't, doesn't get going for a couple of months. So that's another good reason to recycle your potting soils. <laughs> get the, the, the full benefit of your phosphorus
1: yeah doug i still tell people um sorry i'm sorry no, yeah,
2: yeah. absolutely thank you uh, i still tell
1: i still tell people that beginners you know and people that are starting out i still you know when a push comes to shove instead of just digging just dirt itself and there's nothing wrong with your good dirt if it's good dirt if you have it soil tested but there's still nothing wrong with making soil with your bone meal blood meal type kind of situation you're yeah. so you know your magnesium sulfate which is epsom salts for you people that don't know that and uh, yeah. whatever you know there's other things to add but yeah i, I still don't think you can if you're going to do a soil grow you know and you're just beginning especially if you're going to do beds it's yeah. a lot easier than you know there's a lot of amendments that cost a lot more let's put it this way you yeah. can buy dolomitic lime you can buy epsom salts you can buy blood meal and bone meal all together for about 30 bucks or 40 bucks yeah. for all of it
3: you know, so you know,
1: that, and that's a 50-pound that bag of dolomitic lime, or 25 to 30-pound
2: bag. Or I, I, I yield. I yield. No, I'm just saying that makes me think of that. You know, again, and because I was really concentrated what I was saying before, you know, the, the cannabis plants really use a lot of water, and if you can really focus on giving them the that water that they need, um, that can go a really long ways. And uh, you know, that um, that's like that. You know. All those, all those kind of and, and nutrients and everything like that. It's basically, there, they're there and available, but a lot of it has to do with the, 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 the watering, your watering style and how, how much does that potting mixture that you know, match your watering style. So people do need fairly good drainage, especially if you're gonna put in a container. And generally that you think of in container growing, you don't, you don't wanna have soil from your backyard. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about, Mr. Green Jeans? <laughs> and and <right. laughs> No, exactly. And probably if you don't live in, in, in uh, you know, uh, in, uh, in, um, that, in San Juan Capistrano, you know, or in, in San Clemente, because our soil there is mostly sandy, and a little bit of clay there is actually a precious thing, whereas yeah. a lot of people live in, in areas where their soil is plenty of clay. And, you know, but still, I think a little tiny bit of it. And then if you adjust your watering style, your watering skills to be able to deal with that, because clay, clay helps to hold, it's another thing that helps to hold moisture. And if it's kind of pretty well distributed, just a small amount through the potting soil. And if you're watering, you're watering well, you've got good watering skills, that can almost help it to hold, hold a little water, you know, it'll drain a little bit slower. It will drain a little bit slower. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. Cannabis really likes it. It's got really tough roots anyway. It likes to, it likes to tough it through a little bit of a little bit of clay there.
1: Not only that, clay has a bunch of minerals in it that you can. Clay use. is wicked good. Yeah, right it's really uh, uh, right, right mixture. Clay is excellent. In a, Nutrient. In that and there's somebody listening to anything. this
2: podcast in Illinois. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> the green dunesies are out of your mind. And yeah, I know. I hear you. I know, but. But 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 let me tell you in 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 San Clemente clay is a precious in Los Angeles clay is a precious commodity. It's so precious that I add it to my potting soil, <laughs> to my, oh, neat, neat. To, even to the trees. You know what I mean? I mean anything. Anything gets a little bit of clay helps to get from drying out on our really on our really hot days when we get a lot of air movement and everything like that. The clay can can help hold moisture in the soil. You know so. But anyways, uh, I'm, I'm I'm rambling on. But yeah, yeah, I'm really excited. It's a great summer's coming up. Hey, Marty, what's happening? Yeah,
1: I want to say, hey, Marty, too. Here we go. Passing what's on. up, guys?
4: Glad to see you guys on.
1: Yeah, yeah, we are glad to be here. It's been a tough few weeks. So, so sorry I've missed you guys.
4: You know, yeah, guys.
1: we've missed you, too. Same with you, Mr. Green Jeans. Thanks, yeah. thanks for everything.
4: Yeah. take
2: you. Yeah. Have
4: you- i just
1: want to say i want to pick, i want to build a shack in your backyard and come live in your backyard marty <laughs> you keep putting them
4: pictures i'm going to show up one day you know you can show up i'm not gonna say you can move in but you can show up
1: <laughs> i love it you got to move you I, I i feel so good for you after what you went through i just to open this up that that you found such a beautiful i mean oh my god it's like i you, you we all live in god's country but that's god's country right there i'll tell you what you just I could just stand there and stare down over the mountains all the, all day long, and you know some of them. I do. Yeah, I know. Sometimes
4: it's sometimes it's not good, you know. You're like, man, I should get up and do something, but oh, shit, it's so nice right here. I think I'm gonna think I'll twist up another one. <laughs> I think I'll take another dab, you know. So it it's good and it's not, but then again, it also helps me with uh, with not over gardening, right, Mr. Green Jean? Ah, ah. see, the more sitting on the porch I do, the better my plants are probably probably
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> well or you could plant other plants you don't have to fuck with the plants that you got
4: <laughs> yeah that's kind of what we're doing now it's like replacing a lot of the decorative ones with yeah. uh, ones that produce food <laughs> excellent
0: so last week we covered um kind of newer or springtime grower uh topics uh, what advice do you have roger and uh mr green jeans on what people should be doing in springtime and maybe advice for newer people looking to either uh, get growing or uh, maybe even start breeding for the first time.
1: Uh, well, I'll just take a quick thing and then I'll pass it to Mr. James. I think there was some of the most important thing for people starting gardens and, and growing is always, I th- this is because I teach people now a little bit around here locally, I find that what they need to know, they need to know that you need to do your water tests and you need to do a soil test to know what your water what you got in your water and what you got in your soil so that you can have an educated idea about what you want to do to amend it or what kind of fertilizer or whatever system you might want to do now we tend to lead toward we lean towards not tend to but we lean towards an organic philosophy in a in a way that we're not hurting the soil so we don't want to add salts and stuff like that generally Uh, it's not saying you can't ever do it, but we prefer that and we've found that with there's results out there that you don't have to. In fact, your 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 garden's gonna be your your farm or garden's gonna be way better not using salts in the long run if you're willing to do learn and do what you need to learn and with natural farming or aquaponics and such like that. I think other than that, everybody needs to understand that pH is one of the most important factors in growing something successfully. And what people bypass all the time, they tend not to check or they don't buy the proper meters. I think that's the two most important things I know. Get your water and soil tested so that you have an educated way of building your garden. And then make sure you have the proper testing equipment for, uh, for your, to, in order to make sure that your soil or your, your, your solution is properly pHed.
0: Absolutely. I was listening to it. Go ahead, Mr. Engines.
2: No, I was just going to say, I think it, you hit you hit most of it. I, I got think. one more. <laughs> okay, go.
1: <laughs> if you're going to grow outdoors, you need to learn from, because I learned from years to year, you need to learn when you start your seeds. Because if you put them out too early, a late frost will kill ah, three quarters cool. of your, because of your, I've lost, I had that's 250 exactly poblano I mean. plants planted one year. In the last week of April, it got into 28 degrees and killed 200. To 175 out of 250. I was exactly, thinking, oh, I'm going to really
2: make a killing all of a sudden because I saw exactly whole what food. I was going to say with yeah. cannabis. People all over the country and much further north than us too. And we just now figured out that that we're all all three of us here, except for Marty, of course, all across this southern sort of band. But um, don't be afraid to plant late. Actually, late is really great. I mean, I've grown yep. um, uh, quite a bit in uh, New York State, in Connecticut, in Massachusetts and late is always better there's a lot of things that grow better late too this is a general thing across the garden uh, across the uh board in gardening um it's always better to start your cucumbers and melons late in massachusetts too because it's just too fucking cold pardon my language it's just too cold early um and you know no it's true i mean you know no, just
1: do, uh, you you didn't want to cut no
2: we don't need it we don't need that i know. shut up mr green uh, but, no, it's true that, it's a, time, a, it's, it's that just do better later on. You know, squash is like that, too. Um, yeah, if you plant it too early, uh, you'll probably get a powdery mildew and everything. It's too cold and it won't really get a, a plant. A, the same, you know, squash, the same variety planted a couple of weeks later is going to overtake a plant that you planted earlier. Yeah. That you planted three weeks earlier. It's literally going to go overtake it, grow bigger and, and end up with a much bigger vine. And you're going to get a much bigger yield well cannabis is very like that too and another really important factor of that really glad you brought this up roger because that was exactly when when i was listening to you talking i was thinking ah, i should say something about planning late but then i totally forgot behind the time you got in because i was like yeah he said it all i agree though i like it yeah but that's a really important thing because there's another thing is with the day length too i believe and this i may be getting into a little bit of speculative area uh but I do really think that people who live further north will get uh, a faster flowering result if the plant doesn't see too many in- increasing day lengths. In other words, if from the very time that it goes into the ground, if it's as close to June 21st as possible, right. and it only sees de- uh, de- 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 decreasing days from the very moment it grows in the ground, I believe most plants will flower will actually finish earlier. So people that live really far north, I think, can get their can entice their plants to, to to literally finish quicker and get get more done before the frost happens if they plant later. Yeah, and that's what I was thinking of when you brought that, that late
1: late starting up is what well. I was thinking in my brain. We need to talk about the photo period because you're starting yeah, late. It that's gives you what it is. you go from long days straight to shorter days once that's you, exactly what it the is. summer stultice. Yeah. So you mentioned what y'all yeah. was thinking too.
2: Yep. Yeah, and some I think some plants when they see daylight when they see the day increasing, they uh, think they are gonna be fooled into thinking they have a much longer um, a much longer growing season than they really do. Whereas if they come out of the ground and they spend their entire life seeing days only you know staying even or getting shorter they're much more likely to be convinced that they got to get their shit done kind of and they're going to go through and finish their flowering cycle quicker and and i'm saying this is not across the board with any cannabis it's going to be definitely genetics again it's going to play a big role but and
1: geographical location
2: Yeah. yeah yeah how quick your day length is changing but for sure, a lot of people up north and, and everywhere don't be afraid
4: to plant late. <laughs> still, plenty of time.
2: And watering, yeah, I planted really like, late.
4: Well, I planted like towards the end of July, late, and still hold like a pound of plant outside. Yeah, sure. It, yeah. you're going
1: to grow food you're always going to have food you know you're going to have you may not get to grow it to maturity where you get all the yield you could have especially like say out of indeterminate tomato or if we're talking mm-hmm. cannabis we're talking kind of everything right now but mm-hmm. an indeterminate tomato you can still have a bunch of, of pounds and pounds of tomatoes even though mm-hmm. your cold air you comes in and us and squashes it unless you can keep that vine yes you know um and for those of you who don't know what indeterminate or determined tomato, <laughs> determinate tomato, determinate is what you'd see on a tomato farm, that the, where they plant in the south, where they plant it in, in or, you know after the frost, and then they grow it till like June, and they harvest everything, and all the tomatoes are gone. That's all the and Feast then indeterminate, the indeterminate tomato will grow in a vine thirty to forty yards long, and you actually have to lean and lower it if you grow vertically, like
4: we hang ours up. So it's like up a flower, the, huh? It's kind of a uh, determined. It's kind of like an auto flower, and then it kind of has like a set genetic clock. It's only going to grow to so many yep. days tall. Yeah,
1: that's similar. Yeah, I could, yeah, you can see Yeah, That's actually, I've never heard anybody say that, but I can't argue with that. But the indeterminate, you can actually grow, if you can keep it alive in a greenhouse, although the yield will still fade as it gets older and older, you could grow a tomato plant for two years or so.
2: Yeah. One tomato it plant. It's like, it's keep like bearing in. strawberries versus June bearing yeah. strawberries. You yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So yeah. growing's fun and you can just keep growing food and you, you never have anything to lose at least you'll find out. if. It and grows. further
2: south where we are here down here you can grow at least two uh, you can at least do two waves of you can also set plants out later uh, in the fall um, you may have to veg them up uh, to a certain size indoors under the lights but that's actually pretty successful um, going for that second wave or even you know, I i stick them outside all all throughout the winter and just leave them in their containers, in their little little quart containers when my closet gets too full. You know, Are you talking about uh, cannabis? Uh, in it, cannabis. Sure? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, no, sorry. I just want
1: to make sure because I drifted out.
2: back to cannabis there. Yes. Yeah, no, no, we're for clarifying that to Roger. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you'll get some really pretty colors if you do that too. Exactly. Oh, that's exactly why I stick them outside. Thank you. Thank hey, you. For sure. hey exactly I'm here to help. Reason. Yeah. <laughs> Colors are always good. Love my colors, and I yeah, think Marty
1: wanted to get a word in edgewise, too.
2: Yeah, sorry, Marty. <laughs> and there is there is his word. Yeah, no,
1: we just having a good better, time show tonight. Here's a
2: much better climate for the for the colors. We we often don't even get the, the cool nights evenings down here, in Southern California.
4: So we don't yeah, know. it's pretty pretty good here for that. I mean, obviously, you know, we have other issues we have to deal with like yeah mold <clears throat> yeah earthquakes yep. yeah um, rainy season <clears throat> not too many earthquakes here
1: oh you had to bring up mold i saw a video on youtube the other day where a guy was describing mycelium as mold you know he was going yeah you got to do this and put this stuff in there so you get the mold and everything and i'm like oh, oh, ah yeah, no. it's not it's mycelium mm-hmm. you're trying to create okay yeah
4: well, technically, I mean, they're... Oh,
1: sorry. well, they're te- what are you saying? They're typically they're they're t- technically
2: the same, Steve. Oh, they're all
0: the same family, even if they're using the wrong terminology.
2: It's all fungus.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, but you no, know, mold it, it isn't it, really. There's no the mold's not good for your plants though.
0: What well it, it depends like- it depends on what the mold is, you know.
1: Okay, all right. So we opened up a new we, conversation. We
0: a Question from chat it says, Hey Steve, I had three plants in a three by three. One had ten to twenty seeds. Do you know why? I mean um, her- Yeah, it sounds like that one plant hermaphrodited and uh and Bruce uh, Jenner strain pollinated, yeah. You know.
2: <laughs> the Bruce Jenner strain.
0: Yeah, the Bruce Jenner strain, balls in the bottom.
1: Oh Lord have mercy. Oh, <laughs>
2: I'm not.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay, Roger.
1: Oh, that that's heartbreaking. <laughs> just thinking about that. It's so heartbreaking. Yeah.
0: Hey, why are you the one thinking about it?
1: It's about <laughs> the fact that, that we have
0: an Olympic hero,
1: you know, that's just. Sounds yeah. like you like that look up to him. <laughs> well, at one point we did look up to him, but you know, not anymore and never yeah, have. He's still pretty tall. Never mm-hmm. been in the How same room sure? with the guy. So, so
0: again so that one plant was stressed out either through light stress or through i would look and see maybe was the thing the one closest to your fan was it the one closest to your power strip or your light controller or some other source of light or wind or stress yeah roll a joint and go into your room when the lights are off and
4: (laughs) and when you're done smoking it See if you can see any light in the room at all, whatsoever, and then look relatively close to that. And I would say that's probably where you're going to find it, unless it was due to some other stress. But generally, if it's just one like that, it's an environmental issue, usually due to light leaks. And, uh, let your eyes adjust. That's why I say take some time in there. You know, you got to be in there for you know ten or fifteen minutes and be able to to really see it. So uh, and that's usually a genetic herm you would see like across the board, like you'd have seen all kinds of them. And you probably won't be able to really tell um, where it came from this time because it, you know, the, the flowers have already pollinated and fell off and, you know, you might find them on the floor in a pot or something like that. But, yeah you're, you know, it's going to be really tough to pin down where it was, but definitely look for the light leaks and try to patch those up and hope you don't get it next time.
1: Yep. Uh, what, well, you were saying that I was thinking too, because um, we haven't brought, we hadn't talked about this. You were talking about possibly light leaks or or breeze. Well, we could also say that perhaps you uh, underwatered it at some point, or maybe I'm not sure about well, overwatering. kinds it, well, it of stress. depends.
0: It could yeah, be stress, stress, stress but yeah. Usually, yeah, some stress. It could be temperature. It could be pH. It could be nutrients. It could be light. Yeah. It could be Excess pest, could be pest pressure. Yeah. But so let always pick your
1: pH first, is what my point is. That's another point. Like usually when your pH
4: is that pH. far off, though, you'll get other symptoms. You know, you right. get leaves, twists, or you'll get discoloring, or you'll get something else to go with it. So generally, yes. when you see just one little tiny herm in one little area, and you don't have any other symptoms, that's why I usually jump to light leaks over. Yeah. It, but it, you're right. Absolutely right. It is a stress reaction. So it could you to any stress yeah and usually it has to carry the genetic trait for it already yes right so definitely those are really the kind of different doorways you got to go through to get a herm so your your genetics already um have the the ability to herm they already carry the trait to herm when stressed and you
0: introduce
2: that's the number one issue i'd say that genetics yeah.
0: is, is to be, and, the first thing to blame really and those genetic tests now if you if you if you want to really get into this and you're doing breeding on your own or maybe you're a breeder for a company you can get a qpcr uh we had um uh, kevin mckernan what was this company's oh. name does anyone remember oh no
1: many brain cells have burned since then
0: Uh, medicalgenomics.com. Okay. Medicinal genomics. I'm sorry. Medicinal genomics. Kevin McKernan, great guy, awesome Twitter and uh, Instagram account if you don't follow him. If you're trying to keep, stay on top of the latest in genetics and genetic markers and stuff, but his company has a genetic marker product called a qPCR. You can actually get that. And they actually have test sets that you can buy for, for finding out what, what the percentage is that your particular uh, genetics has to hermaphrodite, right? So you can figure out if that gene's being expressed more or less or, uh, you know, and and figure out what, you know, what's your likelihood of hermaphroditic traits with your particular type of genome using some of the stuff that they've developed.
1: Oh, that's cool. So then you could admit, though, that particular strain from your breeding process.
0: Correct. Or you could just backcross that with something until you found, uh, you know, prodigy that was acceptable
2: cool because sometimes you you need to we were talking with this i forget who it was one of the guests it was a brilliant it was a brilliant point and it's like you know sometimes man you got it you need to breed with a hermaphrodite you know you it's it's what you've got you need that's you know and it's got the great traits and that's what you're trying to get and unfortunately they're all just hermaphrodites or whatever so you've got to you've got to deal with it it's a real pain in the ass i've i did i did that with some stuff from uh you know mekong uh, we i remember i we called it the mekong gold and man you know the first couple of generations i mean i had to cross it there was no way i had to outcross it there was no i at first i was thinking yeah i'll just breed it i'll make i'll keep it as a land race but oh my god and and you know i've learned some things since then people have pointed out steve pointed out to me that that my trying to trying to force it into short uh short cycles was probably pissing it off too that yep. he probably would have enjoyed uh just vegging for a good three you know three quarters of a year anyways before <laughs> being asked to flower but
1: yeah like have, a typical been, sativa right yeah. yeah
2: yeah extreme sativa yeah, yeah. from yeah. you know from the from uh, laos or whatever laotian stuff i, I had one of those once and i it, i it went away yeah it's just wild i mean really hard to to deal with and it's like every every single plant is a a fence straddler but then on the other hand there uh there's wonderful traits you can tell the beautiful smells and everything there and so you you know it's like you want you, you you want to try and figure out a way to deal with it you know you you cross it and you try to keep those things that you like and you try to breed out that hermaphroditism it's possible
0: so we had a we got we had a uh, thing says so just certain parts of the plant hermaphrodite not necessarily the whole plant. Um, so you can yeah, have yeah. part of the plant hermaphrodite, not the whole thing. You can have the whole plant hermaphrodite. It depends on the stressor, right? So so let's so so let's talk about this, right? So why does a plant hermaphrodite? Does anyone here? And okay, is anyone here who hasn't taken my class or doesn't <laughs> teach the class, which excludes the entire panel? Um, know why plants hermaphrodite in the first place. It's a self-preservation mechanism, okay? If it's a lonely female plant and she doesn't get pollinated, she wants to ensure that she has a whole bunch of daughters next year that might get pollinated by a male or uh, that, that might get pollinated somehow by the wind or a bee or whatever, you know, a beetle, a bat, who, who knows what the local pollinator is. But that's and I apologize for the beeping in the back. I will fix uh, that. That sounds like
1: a
2: Facebook alert. Hermaphroditism <laughs> is good. A lot of things would like to be hermaphrodite.
0: Exactly. So, so, so <laughs> if you're looking <laughs>
2: in from, the S.
0: from a self-preservation mechanism, like standpoint, this is a wonderful mechanism. But for people trying to make pure sense, Amelia, this is a very annoying uh, mechanism. So. The, that's the reason why the plants make female pollen so that their next generation will be all female so that it has its be- most likely chance to locally continue and prevent local extinction. Yeah. Now any extreme stress, be it nutrient, temperature, pH, wind, a- any kind of grow condition that's extremely outside of its normal, range can induce hermaphroditic traits it could also be excessive light at, at night which is also one of the most common ways to induce hermaphroditic traits accidentally
4: yeah Routine. especially you know home grow like in just a you know like i think it's probably happened to mo- like most people when you first get started you know you try to yeah. just grow a, a photo plant in your living room or something yeah you you learn about photo periods you know like yeah uh, yeah. yeah, it happens. I
1: think
2: oh, I have a I, I, theory that it's also related to. Sorry to jump in. It's also that no. one of the things is root growth, because um, I've noticed that also people that grow in beds as opposed to um, regular uh, containers, each single plant in a container, that some that sometimes that growing in 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 large beds is more. They're more likely to to get hermaphrodites. It's, it's true, and I don't know. You know, I, I just feel like sometimes if there's if it's possible for the roots to grow, or for some reason, they're still being enticed to grow, whether it's because there's nutrients available or for whatever reason. And I think something like a light leak can do exactly that, you know, so there's light there and it's you know, causing the roots to grow. I, I, that's why I, I feel like, anyway, I, I'm, I'm just I'm totally shooting in the dark here, but I feel like someday we may tie a lot of these kinds of stressors together and realize possibly that that's it it's something that suddenly triggers root growth and then the plant goes oh my roots are growing why don't yeah. i pop out a few flowers <laughs> you know what i mean yeah, good. Right.
4: just like <clears> or even like said, a like, two-stage trigger you know like i haven't yeah. been pollinated, and i still am capable of root growth so yes right okay. oh,
1: wow wow great point marty great point yeah well that's what steve said in the first place so basically yeah, because you know, it's a, a survival separation mechanism. yeah that's it's how they thing, keep growing while you find them in the forest when you go. Out.
4: Yeah. and I, I think also it could explain why you see it in only some genetic strains. So like some of them, you know, like obviously have adapted to different photo periods, but some of them just might be outside of what we normally grow them. Mm-hmm. You know, so we don't, we don't see them as often. I know a lot of people around here that, you know, because they have, you know, kind of tight neck growing circles, you just start getting the habit of doing doing certain things like almost nobody around here will will run Jaeger indoors just because it has a reputation of herming out, running it indoors, but almost everybody runs it outdoors because for whatever reason it doesn't, you know, it it just doesn't deal well with light change. I think that even if you do like what the normal people do of changing it every hour and reducing it down to gradually change it is way more progressive than what happens outside. So... their their sensitivity to it like you might be able to grow Jaeger indoors if you're willing to spend your you know Mm -hmm. three weeks changing your light to go down yeah
3: Yeah, gradually
4: at a time but nobody is so it just doesn't happen and it just gets written off as oh it just turns you know where they're just the all these different strains just have different thresholds and we just happen to bump into some of them
0: I think it's definitely a possibility so on that note let's talk about ways to mitigate hermaphroditic traits so if you do have a strain that has hermaphroditic traits i would say the number one thing you could do off the bat first off is don't give it any kind of extreme conditions temperature ph or otherwise but two give it silica again ensure that your ph up regimen is potassium silicate and ca- calcium carbonate the silica again there's countless studies with row crops showing how ca- uh, silica improves uh, uh, numerous and uh, reducing numerous plant, stress hormone plants plant, uh, plant hormones exactly so reducing uh, heat stress reducing water stress reducing a whole wide range of stressors in a whole uh, you know wheat uh, corn a whole beans mm-hmm. a whole wide range. and this is heavily documented both genomically and in tissue samples and a whole bunch of other stuff so again Making sure silica is part of your program when doing aquaponics will help reduce bolting and lettuce. Everything from bolting and lettuce to herming and cannabis. And this is why, again, why why it, it's kind of goofy to me that some of the old school regimens with potassium hydroxide and stuff are just are, are kind of goofy to me when you can have potassium silicate which will give you all these immense ipm benefits and and her, reducing hermaphroditic traits reducing um you know uh, all types of heat stress related uh, problems like bolting and lettuce and, and numerous other problems you have in aquaponics uh, why this hasn't been been looked at sooner uh but before we started doing research at it uh, back in the day when i was back at aquaponics Source, so um this is a, a really good way that we can even lettuce growers can, can utilize uh, silica to help reduce uh, some of these uh, you know, flowering traits in, in their own plants, but particularly even in cannabis, reducing chances of hermaphroditic traits because you're just reducing those stress hormone production in general that leads to that hormone uh, hermaphroditic trait to begin with.
1: And it goes back to when you do that proper nutrition for any plant or human being, you're going to be stronger and more resistant to pests and disease. Yes. So, it's kind of all along that same line of thinking about doing it right and getting the right, uh, your grow methods correctly. I wanted to jump back real quick and say one last thing about what, what, what uh, Mr. Greenjeans was saying when he was talking about hermaphrodites. It, and I think we kind of touched on this, but it wasn't said just like this way. Like you, and you meant you touched on it with your uh, land rates you were talking about, is that it could be insufficient breeding. Is why part of the question was why are we getting hermaphrodites And the one thing that wasn't really said—I mean, we danced around it all through the Uh. conversation—but on that particular question, we didn't really. So I wanted to ask you, Mr. Greenings, if you—if you you believe, because it's your—you bred more than you—you breed more than any of us here, you Mm -hmm. know. So. What do you think about the idea that i think it you know a lot of it the reason you get hermaphrodites is because of poor breeding practices or insufficient breeding in some absolutely. to some extent not across the board but
2: you know absolutely as a, a lot of a lot of feminized seeds have been made and uh, thankfully i think the pro- process is i mean you know the, the i think it's going away it, i think it's not as popular as it was but 20 years ago to, to, to 10 years ago there were a lot of, and a lot of them were sold commercially, you know, so people just had a plant that spontaneously became a hermaphrodite, and they're like, oh, awesome, let's make feminized seeds, and the thing of that is, is that it, it absolutely ups the chances of, uh, it's going to start actually immediately, probably with most times you do that well it depends on how much stress you know and, and you know was causing him so uh, plants go all okay put it this way plants go all the way from from being uh spontaneous uh, hermaphrodites literally uh, on, on fence straddling you know <laughs> ladyboys these were from laos <laughs> pardon me anybody out there um, and you know the, it, but they go all the way to plants which literally almost cannot be um, convinced to 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 make a female fl- i mean a male flower a, a plant that is so female that even a, a, even uh, the silver nitrate and stuff like that has i've heard of ones i i think i might have a few that i but i haven't really tried you know i've i've feminized some plants but i've got a whole bunch of them. i got a couple that is that I, that I suspect would almost resist, completely resist being feminized. So plants go all the way from, you know, their hermaphroditism, their, fe- their male and femaleness is a, is, a, is, a com- is a continuum, you know, which goes all the way from total fence straddling hermaphrodite to extreme male, uh, extreme female for sure, and I presume extreme males. And I think the best uh, ones for the most part for us for breeding are these really, really good uh, males and females. Sometimes you do have to breed because you've got, those are the traits you want. This is why I was talking about before, you know, you've got this wonderful, and you know, it's only available, uh, those traits are only available from this land race, which has a pretty good percentage of hermaphrodites. I do think you can get rid of them in a few generations, you know, with with good breeding. Of course, absolutely. Especially with those Southeast Asian strains, they're them.
0: really prone to hermaphroditic traits. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: guess absolutely. who just popped in from Idaho? Hey, who's
0: who's this that just joined us?
1: Does he have a beard or not? I can't see very good.
0: Hey
3: guys, yeah.
1: he's debating. I, I heard How's he's
0: going.
3: <laughs> hey Chris, going what's up? Chilling. It's a beautiful day in Idaho. It's it a also... like it.
0: Tell us what you're up to and what you've been up to and what you got coming up, because you're doing all kinds of cool stuff lately.
3: Yeah, I've been, uh, I was today, I took my family out to uh, a client's place. They're uh, intensive cattlemen, so they're grass farmers, basically. Um, you know, they they uh, really cool farm, organic farm, um, been in the family for three generations and uh, they raise uh, cattle for, for uh, meat, and um, they do a lot with their grass, intensive grazing. Um, it's really cool. And so we're going to get them a baseline with soil samples, and they want to um, kind of bring in, they don't have much in the way of fungal life, so they want to boost that um, grass production so that they can get, you know, more heads of cattle per acre and uh, make more money yeah and then there's a yeah it's Idaho's funny is you know uh, another client I'm out with is uh he's they're alfalfa farmers they're they're gonna be um really cool people um ropers and you know uh work with cattle but they're um they want to grow alfalfa they can make you know a good amount of money on their 100 acres and um just growing alfalfa so we're their land's kind of pretty depleted they they've only been there for you know um 10 months or so and they haven't started farming it yet and so we're working with them so i'm i'm out hanging with the with the uh beautiful country folk out in uh idaho and uh, yeah it's been it's been fun totally cool awesome thanks so for having I'm... me on steve yeah,
0: I understand you're doing some cool stuff. I think tomorrow you're unveiling some, some new K&F stuff.
3: Yeah, it's, it's not really new. I just, I haven't put a video on it. So people ask a lot of questions. Um, mm-hmm. um, uh, Tina um, at Lala Grows on Instagram, we're gonna talk and I'm gonna show how to make a uh, water soluble potassium. Um, and Steve and I were talking about it yesterday and uh, yeah it's just uh, using what you have to to make a really great kind of uptake or or really available potassium for your plants
0: that's yeah, awesome we'll what, that
3: will tomorrow, you be doing Wednesday. a youtube
0: will you be doing a youtube video on that as well later on or
3: will that I probably be a video or I probably should. I I've stopped telling people I'm going to do YouTube's because I, some <laughs> something in me has has I've just not been producing much lately so but yeah, it's uh on her Instagram tomorrow at noon, I think, and she'll probably keep it up for a bit, but um I could tell you how to do it right now. But sure. yeah, and then that'd be awesome and then, I was uh, going to ask you what's, what what do you doing I was, doing, you know. Yeah. I wasn't
0: sure if you wanted to spill the beans, but if you if you're willing to, that'd be amazing.
3: Come on. Oh uh, yeah, man. totally. <laughs> yeah, I'm cruising right now. We're, uh, we're in a new property. Me and my family. So we're, we just claimed some ground. We're starting, starting a garden. So we just uh, got this going with with IMO and uh, a few plants. It's really early for putting plants in the ground in Idaho right now. Yeah. So, but <laughs> there's a melon, and uh, we got uh, tomatoes and strawberries gone in. And uh, my thing I'm most excited about in my garden this year are kaolettes. That is my, uh, my new uh, exciting crop. So it's a cross between kale and Brussels sprouts. And so I, it, it looks kind of like the, the little um, ball they play with in Harry Potter quibble or whatever um quidditch Quidditch, thank you
1: i'm not sure i mean i just think that's what it is yeah
3: (laughs) i think i think you're right i definitely wasn't right um but yeah it's like this ball and then it's got little like kale looking things coming off of it (laughs) cook it with some trout or something pretty excited about that but yeah potassium water-soluble potassium um traditionally in korea They'll use sesame stalks, uh, which is actually what I'm going to show tomorrow, because um, I have some. But um, typically here in the U.S., people aren't growing a whole lot of sesame. So, um, wow, I could have ordered
1: some the other day and I wish I'd seen this <laughs> last week.
3: <laughs> but we have some we have some great things that grow readily here. Sunflower stalks and heads are really high in potassium. And so mm. is asparagus. Uh you know, if you're growing asparagus, you let some of them go to flower and go to, uh, you know, for vegetative growth, you let some of them go. You don't harvest all of it. And you can, you can whack those big, full bodies and, and uh, use those too. So a lot of people have access to sunflowers or could grow them easily. They grow like crazy. Yeah. Um, but what you do is you take it and you can use the wet material or the dry material and you biochar it. So um, I'm going to show... Tomorrow, I'm gonna show it in a little um, Dutch oven over a fire. Uh, You just throw it in a Dutch oven, get it going. And um, that material, uh, when finished bio, it's, it's like a, you know, fully finished, like a crinkly biochar. And then you just take that and soak it, you know, put it in kind of a tea bag, some sort of cloth or mesh bag and soak it in water one part biochar to 10 parts water um for seven to ten days wow. and then you pull it out and that um that will be a just a micronized uh, potassium the water is enough to um, yank on that and uh put it into solution
1: that's pretty awesome chris that's just i like it i think everybody just understood and know how to do that now that's
3: yeah, it's there's not a whole lot to it. It's you know if you if you if you understood that you got it. You don't need yeah. a demonstration.
1: Well, how much more simple? If you want calcium, you get some eggshells and you 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 barbecue the freaking membranes off the inside and crunch them up and what not that you put them in alcohol, right?
3: Is that those you put in vinegar?
1: Vinegar, vinegar. Okay. Yeah, calcium,
3: I that. Okay. calcium acetate is what you end up with. <laughs>
1: i love that stuff man i'm so into natural farming with all this because i got it i got in where i live in the swamp we got such great all i got all kind of plants my partner keeps coming out uh he's going on a canoe trip with a botanist tomorrow but he keeps coming out going that's that certain weed that'd be great for fpj that'd be great you know <laughs> i got dandelions everywhere i got horsetail i got everything you know that's nice i had a question for you unless you got something to go on with what you're showing us no nah, yeah. i'm just here to chat man i'm hanging out like well I wanted to ask you something just because I saw it on the other day on uh I think it showed up on Facebook probably was a YouTube video though that was on Facebook and and it showed where you said well here I just wanted to ask you for all the people out there you said well here yesterday this was grass and weeds and today bam we're down to dirt what was your method for removing all your grass and weeds that cleanly in one day
3: uh, so yeah, with, um, with natural farming, we're usually not crazy into tilling, right. um, uh, of any kind, because once you take all the time to establish all that fungal life and all your worms and all the other stuff that gets going on, you just, you don't want to disturb it too much, but in a new area, um, do it. So we, uh, we're here in a new place haven't farmed here before, and so I brought this beast of a, like, you know, 100-year-old rototiller out uh, that a friend, a couple friends of mine put back together that was in pieces, and uh, it was, uh, it was a bear, man. I was welding on it. I was, you know, running into the, <laughs> run into the, um, the automotive store to fix a fuel leak, and all that good stuff. But we got, we got this area tilled up. So yeah, this whole area was just solid grass and weeds and a, you know, funky, you know, not productive tree in the middle. And, um, and then we applied IMO. I went to one of my neighbors and got uh, horse manure and uh, brought that in uh, before I tilled it. um, Some, Ash from we got a wood burning stove all winter, so potash and um, yeah, and IMO3, um, and because that's what I had, and uh, we tilled that all in with all the uh, the weeds and stuff. And now we'll still have to weed a little bit, but to try and farm in something that was, I mean, this is basically what it would have looked like if I hadn't tilled, it is just over the fence here. To try and farm in, in that you know out the gate is just you know impossible you're working so hard just to get plants okay. to have access to the sun so yeah I recommend if you're if you're working with new territory one time doing some sort of tilling just so you can get on top of it and then you can you can bring in your microbes. Yes you are disturbing stuff but um the the benefit of being able to farm uh, where it's not totally you know, knee-high grass is uh, worth it.
1: How about, deep would you say high. the till was? Because that would probably have something to do with your, with your your structure underneath too.
3: Yeah, probably four inches.
1: So that's not you that know bad. that's not
3: disturbing. yeah four yeah. four to six yeah it's you got all the roots you don't need to go yeah get all the roots exactly all you're trying to do is disturb down so you so the gra- the grasses that are getting turned in basically you're composting in place with those grasses but yeah, it's just to get them kind of wrecked enough that you're not dealing with kind of full-grown um, root structures.
1: Now, I, a question I had since you said you brought in horse manure, I'm assuming. Well, I'm hoping, or unless I, or I have another question, your that horse manure was composted horse manure, right? <laughs>
3: Yeah. This is three years old.
1: Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's okay. Thank you.
3: Yeah. (laughs) You know, but I'm not, if you have IMO, I'm not super opposed to a little fresh just because you're going to get so much activity out of it, but then you got to be real careful that, um, the ratio is not too high to your total area because you'll just be, you'll be hot. Um, you know, um, as far as hot, not temperature, but, hot and that you'll be burning I, roots and yeah, yeah. yeah things won't Perfect. be growing.
1: All right, thanks. I wanted to clarify that for people because you know we tell them don't be putting fresh horse manure down on your garden. Like thinking no way. be growing well, plants like fresh, crazy. It's got a horse
0: manure tell- is bad, but you could put month old horse manure. I mean yes. horse manure definitely is one of the ones that's ready sooner than other ones because horse yeah. manure is very low compared to other Four-legged animals is very low in nitrogen. In fact, it's so low in nitrogen it's almost a problem. You you really should amend it. Uh, I know when I lived in the desert, we would amend it with hippie pee, right? So we take (laughs) fermented hippie pee and we put that on the horse manure and we let that sit for three months and we turn it. And after three months, we put it in the in the in the raised beds. We mix it about thirty percent with the local, basically what amounted to sand. That was the local gravel and the local soil, Uh, so... Um, and, that, and that gave us the local microbes plus the, you know, a good base that we needed to, to grow whatever we wanted. And sometimes we put a little straw or whatever else in, but it, it grew really well. We grew, you know, a whole wide range of crops with something just using hippie pea and horse manure, you know. So.
1: so would it be safe to say that still, like I like to teach you need to, you know, compost this for a year to be on the safe side? But unless you have a bunch of hippie pee or you're an expert grower, you might want to compost it a little longer to be safe that's that's what I was thinking but I, I, I'm glad we brought it up because I think that's important for people to know there are options or ways you can't implement it like you know Chris was saying basically I took as well you could dust your field with some compost I mean some fairly fresh manure but you don't want to like you know just dump piles of it on and cut it in because it'll just tear it
3: yeah but dusting with fresh manure on the surface when you already got cr- crops growing or or you know stuff you got to be careful with that so in my scenario where I'm taking you know active soil I'm turning it in I got IMO which is right tons of microbial life you know a little bit of fresh really wouldn't I, it wouldn't be a problem I wouldn't be worried about um, pathogens if I had a small amount you know Well, that's what I
1: meant actually, is you kind of dusted into it and then you turned it in, but it wasn't large quantities. You used a very light quantity and then you turned it in. I'm sorry. I didn't speak, I didn't clarify that correctly to you.
3: Yeah. I didn't, I didn't have any fresh, but I, like I was just mentioning that I wouldn't have minded just because of the kind of activity that I would have got out of it. Um, Especially here, it's cold right now. You know, it's next week is really the earliest you would want to plant here um and uh we we're kind of risking it throwing some stuff in the ground and my wife's getting a little uh disenfranchised as we got a a a late frost and some of her cucumber she put in didn't make it and so uh we're, we're pushing at that uh plant as soon as you can line
1: we discussed so that earlier in the show, too, about planting too early, and you, if you get lucky, it's
3: great, and if you get frost, <laughs> you're screwed, yeah, you know, and why I'm the okay,
1: franchise.
3: <laughs> I'm okay with, but my, my wife hasn't been gardening all that long, and so she's kind of like, what, we like made all these starts, and now they're dead, and, <laughs> you know, I'm like, ah, it was a risk, we took it. Welcome so, to farming. Yeah.
1: That's, that's a great story.
0: Yeah. <laughs> hey, you're Chris Trump. How is
1: our plant dying? You know, <laughs>
0: yeah. I thought you were, I thought you were some kind of soil guru. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, have control
1: over the weather. Having fun with, so, Chris uh, Trump with natural farming.
0: Fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, uh, what other types of maybe non-traditional KNF stuff out there? I thought it'd be maybe cool for you to touch on PSB. And then I thought it'd be cool for you to touch on maybe some of the uh, IPM-based uh, IMO stuff out there, or IPM-based KNF stuff, because uh, that isn't talked a whole lot about in other in other circles of KNF.
3: Yeah, um, you know the one of the things that is kind of my a favorite thing um, that isn't really talked about is just using. IMO to make compost so in natural farming they say fermented mixed compost but it's not it's not like anything you know exclusive to natural farming it's just composting but to have a you know really active or really strong um, microbial base in that um, IMO to start with with your compost so whatever you're composting, um, horse manure, or um, steer manure, or hippie pea, or, you know, what, what resources or wood chips, and, you know, um, and whatever it is you have access to, something with high nitrogen, um, but taking a little bit of IMO and adding it to a large quantity of compost, and that's kicking it off with this huge amount of diverse microbial life, um, I love that basically I, I got a bag of IMO sitting around and I'm getting ready and I got oh what resources do I have available to me this year you know what resources are in my area what do I have to improve my soil taking that making a compost pile um, and bringing in some of that IMO um, it's it's kind of a it's a, just a really great way to do um, composting where you're you're getting this huge amount of growth because you already have this kind of uh, fungal, bacterial-rich um, microbial inoculum, and now you know it's just processing or fermenting that material. So, I I always I got bags of it in storage of IMO. Here's one right here that I'm almost done with, but I took uh, kind of the last bit of my horse manure because I was running low on this bag and I threw it into this this bag here. And so now as we put out our fresh starts, I'll take a little of this IMO and aged horse manure and uh, throw it around, or I'll put it on top of where we're seeding or um, whatever. But yeah, fermented mixed compost is just this concept of composting, but using, you know, tons, instead of just relying on whatever's on that plant material You know say you got wood chips and some cuttings from your you know trees that you chipped up or you know whatever it is some some high nitrogen instead of just relying on whatever microbes are present in that to do your composting you're bringing in um, IMO to start so it just it kind of amends whatever you have available so I, I do that all the time I do that on a large scale in our farm in Hawaii. We take, you know, um, we'll get sometimes fish bone meal, or tons of macadamia nut husk, our byproduct, and then we'll just cover it with a with a light amount of IMO, and we get just beautiful mycelial growth over this whole, you know, 500 yard windrow that we're turning with a compost turner, just because we kind of kind of uh, inoculated it, if you will. Yeah, that's with, what uh, I was going to say.
1: You basically just inoculating it and let it spread, let it grow, yeah, live, yeah. Right? I mean, right? Yeah,
3: that's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah, we're, we're just kind of jump-starting. Yeah,
1: that's what I was we know
3: that, Yeah, exactly right. So that's one, um, and, and one I use all the time in different ways. It's kind of like, what can I what can I ferment, you know, with uh, composting? Um, in this garden, we basically did that. You know, these raised beds are brand new this year. Um, I got my kaolettes going in here. It's getting dark, so you can't see them, but... Kaolettes right here coming up. And uh, this is, you know, rabbit manure, chicken manure, horse manure, um, local soil. So took some of the, I mined some of the best soil on the property, A little bit of um, potash, you know, just from our fireplace, just everything we had available around here Um, and IMO3. And I let it, we mixed it in this bed and let it ferment here. and then planted into it um you know this is young you know if 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 it was ideal I would this would be a year old and I would have grown stuff on it and next year it'll be better but the reality is today is the day I have you know and I I want to grow stuff this year and and stuff's growing well so far so it's it's um you know that that ability to bring in microbial life because we have some that we've kind of Cultivated out is um, great. Um, PSB, Steve, I am might be just like senior moment here. I got some white in my beard, um, but uh, uh, I, can, I cannot remember that acronym. Phosphorus
0: solubilizing bacteria, the purple stuff, the blue stuff.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right, that's right. Well, you it. probably are better to talk about that than me, as you played with it like crazy. I think, I, think I, I would call you more of an expert on that than than me by a long shot. <laughs> so, I love so your I, humility. I'll pitch, I'll I pitch that one back to you. That's why so, we love Chris.
0: I was planning on doing a video on that anyway, but generally you mix egg white with fish sauce. And what is the other ingredient? I'm forgetting off top of my head. It's been kind of an insane week for me.
1: See, he was looking. I me for, I, I can't <laughs> I can't
3: help you out here. Man. I don't think no, I've uh, ever made that one. I, I saw I yours and I, I played with it a little bit, but I. Uh, oh I
0: no! Know. So the, the stuff that I made actually was isolated phycocyanins, which was a wholly different uh thing than, than what I'm talking about. So, so they actually use a cyan. I think it's, I believe it's a cyanobacteria, but the phosphorus solubilizing bacteria. But um, so so we'll skip that one. <laughs> but um but what about um what about some pest management knf uh, i know we we talked a little bit about that when i was in africa do you want to talk about that at all on the on the show
3: sure yeah yeah that's uh it's probably my favorite part of um jadam so um cho young son is um master cho's son um so there's cho han kyu who we call master cho um and his son is Cho Yun's son, and he uh, went to school for chemical engineering, um, but he's taken a lot of dad's principles, and um, you know he um,
4: awesome.
2: wants
3: to make them simpler, cheaper, um, and uh, really love his his heart in that. Really, to make things the more accessible, he can make it for the farmer, the better. Um, I um, in the microbial creation world um, or aspect. Um, I stick with natural farming um, because I think we can get a more rounded and complete product. Um, He does some things with um, putrefaction um, to break down or to ferment and uh, which is effective for for getting access to nutrients from crops Um, but also a little sketchy if we're gonna pass some organic certification or food safety marks, because I'll be dealing with um, the potential of just high E. coli numbers, et cetera. But his pesticide suite um, is quite amazing. And and, uh, I I really um, believe that's that's something to play with and something to, to learn about for as a tool in the toolkit for an organic farmer and that is sorry go ahead
1: so he so he's taken gone into chemistry chemi, chemical engineering but he's going to apply it organically where he can he's just going to be able to break it down better than it's been broke down before so so, well, so, what,
0: so go ahead so what are some of the different KNF um products that are out there so for instance oh. I, i've experimented with putting insect frass both in the rice when making imo and then in also in imo3 per, per your suggestion
3: Yeah, yeah, that's, um, that's great stuff. Um, So, so the idea that we can, um, you know, grow out microbes on a food source is um, such a cool thing to play with in general. And um, the reality is that so many, especially in the kind of beetle category or, or insects with a carapace, so many of them have fungal predators. So, um, in in the you know natural world, there are tons of fungal predators for pre- for pests and um, and my- microbes in general that that um, predate on these insects that we kind of are having to deal with as farmers. And so, to yeah, to take. Um, you know, a huge swath of indigenous diverse microbes and to give it access to carapace or, um, you know, or the, uh, the whole insects um, that are in your area. I did it, um, my first experiment with it in Hawaii was using uh, kind of weevil infested um, rice bran or uh, wheat bran and uh, seeing just the, the microbes go nuts on the insects. Now, um, being able to spray that in your growing area, all of a sudden you have this, this microbe present that's going to attack um, uh, these, these proteins, these uh, uh, chitin and, um, and the, so one of the microbes is a, a chitinase producing microbe, right? Is that? Uh, am I saying that right? It might be that chitinase is the uh, byproduct, I think but um, yeah. And so, so with um, with IMO, you have uh, you're you're aiming at diversity. This this huge amount of diversity that's a, a appearing in nature to then give them access to this food source of um, of like insect frass, um, being one example. Um, you're now um, kind of selecting for a microbe that likes to chew on, on your beetles or your, your carapace welding um, insects. Um, I have a, one of my students is a um, golf course manager in the San Francisco Bay Area. Oh, wow. And uh, he manages the most played golf course in the San Francisco Bay Area. It's not the most expensive golf course, but um, they have huge amounts of traffic And his budget is really low um, for um, amendments. And so he came out to a class in Boise, and he took it back. And we've been talking for the past, um, I think, three years now. And um, he has an entire natural farming protocol for all his greens. And his greens are beautiful. He never has fungal problems. He uses zero insecticides or fungicides or herbicides. And he has beautiful immaculate greens. And they're organic. Um, But we also talked about this and he uses insect frass in his IMO3. Now just when he produces it then he makes tea with that um, insect frass um, IMO3 and uh, he has this kind of pressure on the bug population that just naturally remains there because he has these microbes that love to chew on um, and the chitin of the insects. And so it's, it's definitely uh, something to play with and, and see what you can get access to. Um, I think it's a, it's a great way to go if you overdo it um, or if you apply, um, not overdo it, let me, let me rephrase that. If you apply this foliarly with a um, like a tea or something, um, beware that plants can sense chitin. The, the, the proteins present in these insects and, um, and they, can, they may react to this spray if you're spraying it foliarly and with an immune response where basically they, they're thinking, if we can call plants thinking, they're thinking I'm about to be infested yeah. with, with an insect infestation I need to respond. And so one of the responses that happens in the plant kingdom is I need to reproduce. I need to make babies because I'm about to die. And so plants will jump into flower, will jump into um, you know flower and fruiting uh, protocols. And so you might get kind of a, a jump start or a jump into flowering. Um, and if it's not the right time for you, just beware of using something with a lot of um, kind of chitin in it um, because you can get a kind of immune response from a plant on the on the positive note and that might be positive if somebody wants to boost flowering but also on the positive it does kind of ramp up a plant's immune uh, natural immune system so it will kind of work on um, kind of anti-bug biochemicals etc that's pretty neat no,
1: neat. Yeah, something to look into. Like you said, here we are on the show and we're all going, well, this is just new. And yeah, here, everybody needs to jump in here and look and see what we need to do and how you might be able to use this information.
3: Yeah, play with it. How did it go for you in Africa, Steve, as you played with that stuff? What kind of, I mean, it's hard to tell uh, if you don't have a bug infestation, but. So, yeah,
0: so we did IMO one where we put insect frass in the IMO, in the rice and when we did our collections and then converted that to IMO2 and turned it into liquid IMO and applied it directly to some grasshoppers we had collected. We did the same thing with IMO3 where we converted IMO3 to liquid IMO uh, and we did not have time unfortunately to do an IMO4 because of the virus. But between the IMO2 and the IMO3, the IMO2 seemed to do a better job than the IMO3 did at killing insects um, doing that. Well, granted, it was very fresh IMO to all, you know, full disclosure, we made that IMO 2 immediately in, and converted it into liquid IMO, you know, immediately after converting it into IMO 2 So full disclosure right. there. But that seemed to do a better job at killing the grasshoppers when put inside of a giant, you know, gallon jar uh, and a spread applied as a liquid IMO directly to them just as a test sample in Africa. Than the IMO three did, meaning that it saves me a whole separate step. Uh, yeah, from- we, also- yeah. weeks. Yeah, but That's I, huge. it doesn't. You know, again, IMO four could work better. Again, I did not have the time to do that. It needs to be flushed out further. But in preliminary testing, IMO two seemed to work pretty well as long as it was fresh.
3: How much uh, in your in your plane with it? What percent kill of the grasshoppers did you get with that IMO two?
0: We killed almost eighty percent of them. That's cool. That works yeah, works pretty good. <laughs> because that was our number one thing. Them and army worms and cutworms are the three things that we have to kind of deal with that we don't deal with here. There's a bolo worm or a bolo uh, moth that we uh, also have to deal with that we don't deal with over here. But um, in general, the the grasshoppers and the the cutworms are the two big ones.
1: Yeah, well, that's great news. And- I, we got cutworms here a lot. Like if we try to do corn, if I anytime because I'm not a corn farmer, but when I try to grow some corn, I have a problem with cutworms. So that's really nice to know. I can do some IMO too, you know.
0: Yeah, I would I would highly suggest anyone looking to do the the IPM KNF you know, incorporate up to you know 35 uh, percent insect frass with your rice when you do your initial collection with your IMO, same as you would traditional IMO one collection and then convert yep. it into 2 3 and 4 and then make your liquid IMO from those and 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 use them just the same way as you would as a foliar application but it will it works very well against grasshoppers in particular in my personal experience.
1: Are you talking yeah. about adding it after you cook the rice or well in the rice when you cook it?
0: Yes, so so I'm talking about even when cooking the rice, yes.
1: So you put it in with the rice when you're cooking it?
0: Yeah, we're cooking it with, I mix it 35% with the rice okay. uh, before we even cook the rice, when it's still raw rice.
1: Right, then you cook it all together. That's yeah,
0: it I, I will rinse the rice first, Yeah. but yeah. I'll mix it in. You know, once I rinse the rice, we'll mix it 35% by
3: mass, or by volume rather. Then you take the clabs cool
1: with your rinse. Yeah.
3: The cool thing with that too is... Uh, applying that generally that stuff sticking around so as much as you get that that spray on kill you're also getting that something that lives in your area was thriving wherever you collected your IMO um, you know uh, one and now as you apply it in your growing area and and the a grasshopper shows up it you know it it'll get predated or um, its eggs will um, if it's laying them and so you're 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 applying it to kill, but you can also uh, kind of reliably expect to get uh, kind of a residual benefit as that uh, stays in your crop land. That's cool. So it as the egg cycles yeah. go
1: through, it'll take care of them too. Yeah.
0: And I think, I think really well, its strength is if you're a clandestine grower, or you're, a, as I, I, re- I prefer to call them, a less <laughs> than legal grower, or a grower that's growing in an area that maybe, you know, say I'm just a vegetable grower and I'm in Zimbabwe, it's brutal for me to export or import um, uh, chemicals to that part of the world or, or even biologicals. You know, right now, currently in Zimbabwe, I can't even get biological insects, beneficial insects to my farm in Zimbabwe because they closed the border with South Africa. So. And this is why having a KNF fallback and producing your own IPM products on property, and not having to rely on those types of things. If I'm in Jamaica, if I'm in Barbados, if I'm in any of these places that I've worked on with 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 different vegetable farmers and aquaponics, they can locally harvest their own uh, 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 IPM uh, IMO. W- in their local area, even in Barbados and then produce a local you know a- a pesticide that is designed for their local property that has no negative impact with the local environment. That that is already evolved to live in in their in- environment and their climate that will just you know do very well and eliminate grasshoppers and, and and a whole wide range of other insects that, that doesn't cost them money. And again, they don't have to worry about things like the COVID virus shutting off borders because they're just producing it themselves. So this is where, you know, a lot of the strengths of things like Korean natural farming, being able to produce your own uh, IPM, being able to produce your own fertilizers and your own supplements and your own uh, soil amendments with the Korean natural farming, with the whole wide suite of them, uh, really, you know, uh, shines, especially in a moment like the moment that we're in currently with with the virus and everything else.
1: And I think it also has a lot to do with like people like me, where I don't have tons of money, so I can buy products that I have done in the past, where I was a hydroponic farmer. But now I've got I live in a swamp. I can basically make everything I need to make. Following, you know, Master Cho's and Chris's guidelines and stuff. So it saves me tons of money in the end. And as we all know, once you get these gardens going in three or four years, there's it comes down to a, a smaller maintenance situation instead of where you like you're you doing all the work up front and then you maintain it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. in that, I mean, if I've got this all correct, down to years we won't have to produce as much. Uh, and that's something I I'd like. If I can have some another question. When we talk about how we use lactobacillus and FPJ, I would like to talk about how, like, because everybody, let's face it. Oh, hold on, just a minute. I got something for you, Chris. Hold on.
0: on. All right. Is there any other stuff that you're cooking up? You don't have to necessarily tell us what you're cooking up, but you got some other KNF stuff that you've been experimenting on or working on in the in the in the lab there.
3: I am. I'm am playing with things. And, and truthfully, you know, if I could do that a lot more, you know, uh, that's I'd probably <laughs> I'd probably end up with, you know, uh, a farm for profit space and uh, and a whole lot of research, um, because I think that that's going to push forward the whole community, being able to kind of hear some reliable directions. Um, hey, there you go. Okay, you, you, you sipping on that a little bit?
1: So, 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 see, so this is what takes months to make. So you buy this from Chris at naturalfarming.com. <laughs> you can make it yourself. You can make it yourself, but it doesn't it take months, really? It does take months. It takes months. So you got to just go if you want to get. So, but we know that everybody the first thing they do is they make labs and make FPJ. But then everybody says, I've talked to like hundreds of people and they, oh, well, I drench my ground. I do this, I foliar spray all this. Could you just give a little bit of insight? Cause this show was actually the we, we were kind of doing a theme of beginner stuff again tonight. And then you tied right back into it with the, the, like we already talked about the, like the plant trying to save itself. So it recedes and all. So you tied right back into that earlier, but so for our beginning K and F people that, you know, aren't available to go and take your class or whatever. When you make your labs in your FPJ, what are the best ways to apply it to use on a new garden? And then, of course, you need to buy this OHN organic herbal nutrients, and then you'll be set. I mean, and what well you need and start your IMO collection. But so, where are we at with that? With all that said,
3: yeah, I guess um, more starting with kind of a, a philosophical or or just a kind of word of caution. Um, these, these nutrients we're making um, are a part of growing a crop. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that because you have LAB and FPJ, that you have all the nutrients you need to have a gangbuster right. crop. Um, you're still applying farming techniques. So you right. see me, I'm out there and I'm, I'm getting horse manure from my neighbor. Well, I didn't make that in a KNF input you know, but farming, I know I, I need a little, a little, um, energy in the ground, you know, um, no, it doesn't mean the grass won't grow without it, but I'm not growing grass this year. I want to grow beautiful mel- melons and I got right. some seeds to grow thousand pound pumpkin. You know, I'm going <laughs> to need to push on that a little bit. If I want, if I want that thousand pound pumpkin seed to produce a thousand pound pumpkin, I got to, I I'm going to apply, some, some nutrients. So you can use FAA. FAA also takes a long time to produce. um, and that's just taking some local fish heads or something that you get from your, your, your fishermen or, you know, your local sushi restaurant. Sometimes they'll give you their fish heads and, and guts and stuff. Um, and you can produce your own kind of high nitrogen material, but you're going to need to be bringing in some sort of food or, or pre kind of, um, mixing in uh, some sort of, uh, some, some kind of carrying food for uh, a really productive crop. And so I do, I just want to, we talk about these nutrients and, and sometimes one of the pitfalls for people is, oh, all I need is maintenance solution, which uh, I talk about it also in a YouTube video. Um, and I'm going to have lots of production. It's like, well, that maintenance solution is really important. You're going to get healthier disease resistance and yes you'll get some it is somewhat feeding the, the crop but really you you got to consider um, especially if you're just starting out and you don't have this IMO rich super deep soil with all kinds of worm activities and the microarthropods and the nematodes all going at full tilt you're going to need to bring in a little kind of preload food if you will and so just kind of whether you're to, making a fermented mixed compost, like we talked about earlier, or bringing in some sort of, you know, nutrient source um, to kind of get that production up, uh, especially initially with kind of new soil or new land. Um, I think I think I just wanted to speak to that, you know, that, you know, yes, um, yeah, bringing basis in
1: this for saying you have to have nutrition aside from these inputs.
3: Well, I mean, so if, I'm, if I've been farming on land for three years with IMO, and I've been applying my, my um, organic matter, and I'm, you know, I've got my soils clicking along, I'm actually probably not going to need to bring in any manure and still right. get a lot of production. Right. Um, I'm, I'm going to be spraying FAA and stuff and, and kind of in the cycle of the plant's life, um, applying proper nutrients and I'm going to get yields, but, um, talk, going back to beginners or this concept of starting out, um, you you don't think that just because I have LAB, I'm going to get high yields. You know, it's, it's, uh, it it just, I've seen a little bit of that, um, where, Oh, I'm going to call this KNF. So therefore by applying a name to it, I have yields and, and, um, no, this is um, uh, just
1: one input of a natural farming techniques and methods. It's one little tiny. Yeah, input. and it, yeah. So I was it, not saying that. I mean, just to no. It. You weren't
3: saying that. You weren't yeah. saying that. I was speaking oh, to some. okay. You're just some going of back what to I the
1: beginner. Okay.
3: Yeah, some of what I've heard on the things I've heard on the. Oh yeah, go on. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. yeah.
1: So that, that's what
0: <laughs> other folks on, out there need to On hear. that, on that note, do you want to talk about the importance of IMO and how that's that's almost more important than labs and the scheme of things?
1: Well, can we finish up real quick? Because what I wanted to ask two quick real quick. Like when you're starting out, do you do you use your lab like here's what I get a controversy with people debating. Labs are either to drench the soil or to use um, foliar or both.
3: Either or. Okay, and FPJ. Either or. Yeah, FPJ, either or. I mean, you can do soil drenches with these nutrients. But um, it's better it, to
1: foliar FPJ, isn't it? Or if you can?
3: Um, no. it, you know, it depends. I, I okay. know that, that some people have concerns with, especially in cannabis, have concerns with flavor. Um, right. you know, so say uh, I'm, I'm growing with a bitter, you know, may, my FPJ is a bitter dandelion FPJ. And I want I want to bring that in as food, but I don't want that bitter dandelion flavor to be affecting, you know, an isolate or or some sort of you know smokeability flavor. Um, I took, yeah, I hear that, and so, okay. um, yeah, soil drench that. is great, and soil drench still is very effective. Yeah, okay. So it kind of depends on your your scenario, your operation. I think in vegetative growth phase, I think uh, foliar is great and and yeah, highly effective. We all do.
1: Okay, that's, that's exactly. All right, so that's what I kind of thought. I just wanted you to, I wanted to hear you say it, because we've never really touched on that basic, it's like you make this, you make everybody's all excited about. So I, I yield to Steve, wanted you to talk about IMO, and I'm always, because we know IMO is the key, you know, in the end,
3: I think. Yeah, I think um, IMO, the the reason or part of the key is, is plant nutrient uptake. So, um, um Elaine Ingham taught me how to use the microscope. And one of, one of the things she'll, she'll say is that we have thousands of years of nutrients in whatever soil you want to look at. It's all there tied up in, in minerals, um, but they're not, they're not available to your plant. So whatever you got in your soil, Steve was talking earlier about a sandy soil and, you know, right. um, applying stuff sand is, you know, full of silica. Everybody's like, oh, I need silica. It's like, well, all of a sudden, if you have highly diverse fungal life, you're going to be mining the silica out of your sand and making it available to your plants just by those guys being present and communicating through that biochemical exchange that they do in the soil and in the root zone. And so um, IMO, uh, the, you know, whether you call it IMO or you're on another trip and, you know, another method and um, whatever it is getting diverse microbial life, a fungal community that's thriving and not just one species. um, Ultimately I'm, I'm leaning towards as much diversity as possible. Right. I'm going to get this, this mineral uptake and nutrient uptake from, from soil that's, um, you know, LAB doesn't do that. LAB doesn't mine the mineral from rock. You know, LAB will clean up. Um, LAB can can help you kind of fight off some pathogens. Um, LAB does tons of wonderful things, but when it comes to taking raw materials and mining them into, you know, micro minerals for nutrient uptake in the root zone, we we need that, that fungal life, that fungal diversity. So that's why IMO, you know, or again, if you're not Korean natural farmer, just getting in that diverse um, fungal community is so key. And if I understand it right, and and, I, you know, this, this needs to be dug into further, more research is needed, but um, the cannabis plant is, is wanting in the realm at, at least a 30 to one fungal to bacterial ratio and, um, and maybe a lot more. And, and I think that, and it might be strange specific and we, you know, that, that may need to be played with, uh, it does need to be played with, but if you don't have fungal life in your, in your root zone at all, um, I think that's maybe priority number one, two, and three, um, in, in my, in my opinion. And so, yeah, IMO, I think is, is really key. And, um, you know, uh, it's it's really doable, too. There's a learning curve, but uh, definitely doable.
1: Well, the I, uh, ratio makes it t- totally puts it in perspective. You know, yeah. the bacteria that lab has is with the bacterial, how it is a clean bacteria that cleans out bad bacteria, right? Basically, it allows a, a network. But you need that fungal network is 30 times more important, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. You, still, you need both but one yeah so that's what yeah so that's all right so I, i'm sorry i will give it back to you what you were saying No,
3: exactly right it, it, yeah if you want to put it in those terms it, the fungus is 30 30 times more important yeah i think is that's there, a good way of putting it
0: is there any other ways aside from imo that people can do you know to boost their fungi and their fungal uh, percentages in their soil
3: yeah, um, there's there's some products um, you got to be careful with products claiming fungal life, because um, generally it they don't really have it. You know, there's there's a lot of fungal claims and um, bugs in a jug that you can buy, and when looked at in reality, um, are lacking the fungal life that they claim. Um, so I'd be I'd be aware of fungal inoculum that you buy in the store, um, but you can basic composting, you know, getting some some wild materials or materials that are, you know, um, not, you know, gnarly, you know, um, roadside sprayed stuff. But if you can get just good materials, you can compost just a good kind of aerobic compost. I like static composting for the lazy farmer, you know, so static composting is this idea of um you want to stay in the realm of 70% um, high carbon material. So think like 70% wood chips, maybe 10% green and 20% high nitrogen or something like that. But staying up in that 70% range of woody material, um, you turn it all in once, maybe apply some natural farming nutrients if you have them. Um, some sea salt would be great. If you have some You know, sea salt, mix it into water because that'll help the microbes break down the um, wood chips. But then you get all that woody material, mix it up and let it sit for the year, you know, and that's your next year mining zone for, for high value um, compost. But it's, uh, by, by keeping that fungal content really high, you don't have to turn it. So you make it once and it's called static, you leave it there. And um, that's a great way to get, some fungal life going on your property, um, or going in your area and, um, you farmers are busy. So being able to come back to that, you know, make it now. And it's kind of hard to talk about these things that you wait a year for, but, um, you know, start, start today and it'll be here before you know it. Um, also I, I kind of caution, uh, I'm kind of cautiously suggest this cause I don't want people to get in trouble and I don't want, uh, the raping of, uh, beautiful forest zones but you can go out with a little bag and collect um some beautiful mycelium on your nature walk and um you know stick it in a little little cloth bag you carry like johnny Appleseed, and and come back down and uh throw it in your tea brew next time you know and and don't uh don't brew it too long and make sure you don't have any uh you know molasses or uh or uh, fish in your products in your tea when you brew it, but, um, or just apply that right on, you know, if you have a small grow or something, you know, sprinkle that around your plants, put it right on the surface and, and put some, a little bit of mulch on top of it and water it in. Um, you can get it to establish just by bringing a, a tiny yeah. handful down. Um, and once established, um, it's really not going anywhere that doesn't mean that everything you grab from wherever you go will self-perpetuate in your land. Um, But generally, especially if you're farming outside, but even if you're farming inside, um, that fungus has made connection with those yeasts and bacteria that you have floating through your air. So that is already plays nicely with the yeast and bacteria in your area. I saw somebody did that
1: with Google beds when I was researching recently. They did the same thing they just put the mycelium and buried it at the bottom you know with on wood they'd find wood with mycelium and now, that's all i wanted to say steve you you know that's so i thought that was good yeah
0: if someone were to collect um you know mycelium in their local area and then propagate it with compost tea what would you recommend to add in addition to water and and the mycelium to that tea to, yeah. and, and aeration in order to propagate that
3: yeah and, and Roger, you brought up a, a good point that I'm going to answer Steve's question, but I just wanted to touch on. I, I highly discourage from burying. It. Um,
1: burying?
3: Yeah, don't. Okay. I, I discourage people from burying it. Putting it under a little bit of mulch to get it away from UV, totally great. But, okay. but putting okay. it 10 inches under the soil or anything like that, that's uh, I discourage that because a lot of these um, microbes, these fungal, specifically fungal microbes, they live in that top few inches of the soil um, and right. they love oxygen. And so burying them, um, you're gonna get less. They'll go down. But no, I you got want what them
1: you're to, saying though. Yeah, you put yeah. It on a, after you get your bed, you, know, you might bury some wood logs, but then you wanna have this at the top underneath the mulch. And so I yeah. might even misinterpreted that too. So I'm glad you did bring it back to that because I never want to steer there, wrong with that.
0: You know? Is there sugars or is milk or anything else uh, particularly good for um, yeah you know, propagating fungi in particular? Or what are what are maybe additives that are particularly good for cultivating fungi in particular?
3: So um, I love FPJ um, for um, cultivating uh, fungi in a tea. Um, because it has all this kind of beneficial plant um, biochemicals and, and these nutrients that we don't actually—it's—it's—it's it's, it's like liquid compost, um, and we don't know. We, we're beginning to scratch at what fungi eat, you know. And I know there's a lot known, but there's also a lot of um, things we don't know. They—they um, they have a really hard time of getting them to grow out. Um, on uh, our identifying an ideal auger for um, for fungal growth um, and that's because of our limited knowledge and especially then you getting into species but um, in my hypothesis if you will based on um, some great papers that and studies that were done and um, my experience in you know focusing on fungi for the last 12 years um, they they like plant fats they like um uh fatty acids um basically the the complex um amino acids that form in cell walls of plants um they break those apart um and break apart those those uh amino acid chains and they they have um acid byproducts like humic and fulvic um bringing in um humic acid and fulbic acids to your tea are positive. Um, yeah, You can bring in a tiny bit of sugar. I would not um, focus very much on sugar. The only reason you'd bring in a sugar or a, a sugar type product would be to kind of kickstart some of the yeast and bacteria because as those kind of ramp up, they're, they're micronizing nutrients and and and, um, fungi kind of, they, they work in tandem. Fungi will tee tee off on what they're doing. One of the things I want to, Steve, I I like your question. There's a lot of water, um, I think is a really valuable thing for (laughs) cultivating fungi just because they make use of all those minor minerals. Um, But I want to actually shift a little bit um, to kind of a a physical um, or a kind of mechanical um, thing for growing uh, fungi out. I found in in my um, growing fun, growing microbes out in, in teas, seeing how I did, checking my work, looking in under the microscope over 10 years. Um, and I I'm pretty got pretty serious about it. I, I did it over and over and over and over again for years and years. Um, if I threw microbes into uh, uh, kind of rolling um, water column, uh, fungi into a rolling water column. I had um, I had fungal growth, but I had limited fungal growth. If I took fungi and put them into um, a uh, a sack or a bag or um, or I have stainless steel um, um, baskets that I use, um, then I would get drastically more. And I'm gonna explain this, sorry for the light. I actually wanna show you guys a prototype example that I hand sewed for somebody so that you get an idea what I'm talking about. But fungi, um, they have structure, they have long strand bodies. And so if you put them in a water column and the water column's kind of roiling and broiling, um, they're constantly, as soon as they kind of start forming a body, they're constantly breaking apart and they'll, they'll try again, but they're kind of losing energy, if you will, um, in all that breaking apart in the roiling and broiling. If you can give them something to kind of grow on, then they'll break off of that and um, and continue to reproduce. But just by giving them kind of something to grow on, it helps them kind of not lose time and energy as they're producing their body and then kind of falling apart so here is a just an example of a compost tea bag Um, so you don't if you're not going to put aeration in the middle of it you don't want a big sap where you're getting a ball with that's going to go you know sit there and wait like a weight and the center is going to go anaerobic Right, so you don't want a big ball of material because what'll happen is the center will go anaerobic. So the ways to solve that is to put an airstone down into that, so that it's kind of pushing, pushing all that material and not letting the center go anaerobic, or create something long and skinny where there's no kind of central space that's going to get overly big. So this is just made out of um, kind of marine um, mesh. And then I did a big plastic zipper on it, and um, I couldn't find anything I wanted on the market, so I made one. And so I sat here and sewed it by hand with some, uh, uh, you know, marine type uh, string. But by this being kind of long and flat, I can throw this whole thing into a really boiling compost tea, and it can flop around but it's not going to get a big ball in the middle. It's going to stay kind of spread out. And I wouldn't ever fill this more than half or at the most, uh, you know, two thirds. Yeah, yeah. So
1: moved it around to kind of mix up again a little bit Move and stay from keeping it from a ball. So yeah. 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 And plus exactly. it's aerated plenty. Yeah. So, got plenty of air. That's pretty neat. Another, another yeah, I love it. Yeah, a little, take a little marine cord and marine zippers.
0: Up. We had a, That's really cool. We had a question from Chad. It says, um, Chris, nice to hear uh, what you're working on. Um, can you talk about alcohol content of KNF preparations, the rate and mode of use of the nutrients and biostimulants and the alcohol, why the alcohol isn't a problematic with this? Or, uh, so I think he's mostly talking about why is it that the alcohol content isn't negatively impacting some of the different microbes and- um, During know, extraction, um, it sounds
1: like- yeah, you- I know
0: part of that is the fact that some of your alcohol in those tinctures is actually feeding your acetobacter bacteria, which actually love to feed on ethanol's, but uh, I'll let you talk more about that.
3: <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I, I think um, um, specifically students of uh, Lane have kind of come to question alcohol, and it's because of some of the stuff, um, the negative things that can happen in the, you know, if, if a bunch of alcohol is applied to your soil. And I'm in a total agreement with that, um, that if you apply a bunch of alcohol to the soil, you're gonna have a cacophony of problems. Um, and, uh, yeah, definitely in any plant or soil environment. Um, that said, um, the typical rate of compost applied is going to have far higher alcohol content, minor alcohols that are produced in fermenting plant waste in a natural composting environment, which there's tons that are produced. They're very minor, and it's just part of the breakdown process. You're going to have more in a compost than you're ever going to have and applying natural farming solutions. And that's because of the rate we apply alcohols in natural farming. So, um, OHN is the only thing that has alcohol in it. Um, there's, there's minor alcohols that happen in ferments, just like kombucha or something. Um, in, in the process of going from sugar to, to vinegar, um, alcohols get produced sometimes in there. But in, in FPJ, um, the amount of sugar that's used is very important. So FPJ doesn't allow things to get in uh, into the alcohol content um, because we use so much sugar that there's actually not enough available water to um, produce alcohol. Now, if I took um, FPJ and I added two-thirds water to it, so one third FBJ, two thirds water, and I put it in a um, carboy or something with an airlock. I could totally produce alcohol, but as it is, there's so much sugar that I'm actually restricting that that fermentation point from going very far um, at all. I'm kind of pulling on the um, the contents of the plant and then stopping it because there's there's uh, the the equal weight of water is balanced by an equal weight of sugar. So there's, um, what happens if you look at a sugar on a molecular level, it's basically perfectly suited to connect with a water molecule. And so all your water molecules get tied up by sugar and you can't produce alcohols in that state. So um, that's FPJ, but OHN, we use at a rate of one to 1,000. At that rate and the recommended application rate um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're putting on so little, it's, it's in the realm of or less than homeopathic amounts. Um, those kind of things happen in soil. Um, alcohols at that level happen in um, leaf litter that happens in a, in a forest environment and the breakdown of, you know, you think two leaves come together and get wet um, and, and start fermenting. Minor alcohols are produced. Those those help break down um, cell walls, and that's part of the process of decomposition. So I don't think we're we're in anywhere near approaching um, kind of the the problems that to your um to your cropland, but I understand the concern. Um, I just think that. Um, it's kind of like what you have alcohol in your applications, you know, and it's runaway train with alcohol is bad. And it's like, yeah, I I am completely behind and and in agreement with the, that science of um, large amount of alcohols and the tons of stuff that can go wrong with that kind of scenario. But um, I think it's those red flags are going up for those people before understanding kind of the amounts we're talking about. And I, I think that just no, no concept of um, kind of what this looks like in a, in a one once a week at the most application of, um, of something diluted at a rate of one to a thousand that's already, it's not a hundred percent alcohol. Um, I'm
1: glad so, you got yeah. to the ratio part because that's what exactly how I perceived it was when they, first of all, the alcohol is being used to extract the properties of the plant root in O H N over a several weeks time it evaporates. It's gonna do its thing. There will be some alcohol content, but it's made into a concentrate that then, like you just said, you break it down one to a thousand. How much alcohol are you really applying to the plant at that point? It's very like Chris said, I that's what I was I love that you came right around to what I was thinking, which you know, and I'm I'm an amateur in this this field. You know, but it, the, the way you explain it and the way you put out your videos has allowed a lot of us that are real interested to gain a lot of knowledge. And I love the fact that it's, that you keep saying, we don't know anything yet. <laughs> you know, we're still learning, you know, it's like we got all this knowledge, but not, nothing's set in stone to an extent, right? Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, I, I, that was a great answer. I, I, I wanted to say that too. First thing I would have said, you know, was that it's a, we mix it 1000 to one, you know? It's a very, how, well, what would you, let me ask you this real quickly. Cause that was the thought, how much is What's the alcohol content of OHN? Have you ever measured that? Of uh, the concentrate itself? Like how, what's the alcohol content in this bottle right here?
3: Probably in the realm of, of uh, 30%. 30%? 25,
1: 25. Okay. Okay, yeah. so that's even a little higher than I would have thought, actually. But, but still, you get one. You go down to one to one thousand. So to put that in perspective, you know, what is it when it's one to one thousand ratio to water? So, you know, it's very little alcohol. Like in, and now I loved your, I loved it too. That really helped a lot of people out. Like when you do, like even FPJ has alcohol. Yeah. Well, you said you actually all the sugar keeps you from having alcohol, but a lot of things when you compost, you actually do have you create an alcoholic alcohol situation or it creates alcohol that's not something i've studied a lot on but that found out very interesting and by the way we're on it my fpj with dandelions i took the cap and ate it like i call it dandelion candy i don't see the real nasty taste of it myself i loved it (laughs) my my partner's three-year-old son will pick a dandelion out of yard and eat it because he knows he can eat it and it's good for him believe it or not you know thought you'd get a kick out of that
3: fun stuff Yeah, we couldn't make it to the store, so we did. On our BLTs, my kids weren't fans. You gotta, if you want to use these wild plants, you gotta get the kind of young growth. Steve, were you gonna say something? um, And following up that that um, conversation about alcohol, I
0: was just gonna say that Acetobacter's are often used in both aquaculture and in the uh, aquarium trade Uh, you do something called vodka dosing where you dose with vodka to reduce nitrates and reduce nitrogen so you can actually use uh, alcohol to to reduce nitrogen so say i'm coming into flour and and i have higher than than expected nitrogen in my soil you could actually use uh alcohol to boost the level of acetobacters, which will then reduce the level of available nitrogen to the plant and actually use that as a nitrogen reducer, uh, an organic natural nitrogen reducer rather than a, you know, some other way of reducing nitrogen. So you, you can use them proactively. They're, they're regularly used in aquaculture, even in reef tanks where you have coral and anemones and, and very sensitive organisms. Um we, we regularly use vodka dosing for for keeping nitrates below five ppm so
3: interesting, very cool. Um, actually, one more point that uh, kind of comes up with this conversation um, that I think is just a maybe a an American uh, it might be just human nature, but I think probably it's going to be most found in america um, we you know we talk about you know, I tell people a, a recipe of one to a thousand, and they go, "Oh, wow!" You know, if Chris is saying one to a thousand, then one to two hundred is going to be like, you know, five times better. You know, because it's more concentrated. And nope. people, people just they they just do that. You know, if if Chris says you should apply this once a week, well, if I apply it every day, I'm just going to get that much better growth. You know, and And, uh, I just, you know, shame on you, (laughs) Um, learn the system and, and use it the way it's taught. Um, there's a reason. Um, and so I just not, not shame on you. No shame. You know, we, don't, you know, we, we got enough, uh, of that in the world, but, um, no, just, you know, I think people can run into a ton of problems. If you take this concept and then say, Hey, I'm just going to you know, quadruple the concentration because I want more growth and, uh, don't do it. Um, you know, uh, take the caution you're hearing about (laughs) alcohol, um, as, as one of many reasons not to do it. Um, because, uh, you're really, you're going to get weird stuff going on. If you start dumping a bunch of, you know, OHN, uh, in your root zones, you, you will, you will have problems. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think that's probably where um you know some of this has gone wrong is um you know and, and I'm, I'm I think it's more just a concept of alcohol that's brought up these questions, but um um people just over concentrating or, or using this stuff. This stuff is uh feathered on. It's it's at levels of homeopathy and um oh. and it's supposed to be there.
1: You're right, though. People like to overdo it. More light. They think more light makes everything grow better. And then Uh, they forget about the root zone. And and, uh, yeah, like you said, I've uh, run into people that said they mixed it FPJ. I said, what's your ratio? They said 10 to 1. And I just said, dude, that's supposed to be like a thousand to one. You know, so, yeah, it's amazing how people do it.
0: How I like to explain it is so, so a lot of people, and we we covered this, I think it was two episodes ago or three episodes ago when Scotty was on the show. Um, Mulder's chart and, and how important yeah. it is to maintain your nutrients within a certain ratio where your microbes yeah. are exactly the same way as your microbes. Your microbes need to be maintained in exact ratios of population. And if you do not maintain them in those specific ratios, you're going to have all kinds of chaos going on the same way as you would if you had entirely too much phosphorus or entirely too much calcium or entirely too much sulfur or entirely too much molybdenum or whatever. You're going to have nutrient toxicity, right? Well, having too much of a microbe will cause nutrient toxicity in the same way Uh, or some other toxicity to the plant the same way that having too much potassium will. And people need to to start thinking of it in that type of way. And I think if people start thinking of it in that type of way and making sure that they're raising everything within ratio, they'll start having much fewer problems and and they're going to be able to to balance, maybe not necessarily balance themselves, but start thinking about things in a way that are more balanced and and less... um, Uh, likely to screw everything up because you know if i flood everything with way too much labs it's no different than me flooding it with way too much trichoderma right it's going to dominate and it's going to wipe out the rest of my beneficials and i'm not going to get the benefit of having a living soil in the first place because two-thirds of my beneficial living microbes have have been exterminated by the labs or the trichoderma or whatever that's just obliterating everything else so this is, what, again, why ratios are important and in and, and looking at it, thinking of the same way that you do a Mulder's chart, and, but thinking about, instead of those nutrients, think about them as those different microbial groups in, in, in place of those nutrients.
1: And consider that all actions have a reaction, and that's what, exactly what Steve would just say and and Chris was saying before that. By overdoing it, you're causing, you're causing the, re, the plant to go into a defense mode, possibly because it's a reaction is it's going, wait a minute, something's not going on right. So now I'm going to have to change, you know, just like we were talking about hermaphrodites or whatever earlier, you know, where the plant's going to react because you do that, you know, so that it, that goes in, just simply say it there, there is no, you know, reaction without an action. And by overdosing, you're going to cause the plant to try to balance it out.
3: Right. Funny story on balance. Uh, balanced, um you guys are talking about it and Steve you're bringing up Mulder's chart um there's this great um tomato farmer in uh, Waimea on the big island and um he's uh I think wow tomatoes um but he he's teaching a bunch of um people in Hawaiian homes uh in this kind of um, to use these greenhouses to produce tomatoes, and he uses greenhouses. He's traditional organic, so he's not using a bunch of microbes, but but just a great farmer, and he had a sulfuric acid um, issue because, basically, we got an active volcano on the Big Island, and so um, everybody's crops were dying um, because, you know, that was in the air was... Um, kind of and everything. And so he he wanted it on um the the he he doubled up on other nutrients um and um and he had a great crop while everybody else's crop failed. Um and uh people are like why why would you like what made you think to that's just not something that's done. You don't have an atmospheric event and put double amounts to balance it. Nobody does that. And so he's like, well, it just made sense to me. You know, he, he didn't learn it from somebody. He just kind of said, what would the plant need? And, and it was right back to that. He was, he was bringing in balance. I just, it was, it was a fun story. He was telling that story. And uh, um, it, it was great because it was so um, unconventional you know, in, in his approach, but he, um, yeah, he takes and he preloads all these kind of troughs, if you will, and then mounds and plants tomatoes in, and, uh, he gets one harvest out of all of this tomatoes, and then he, uh, cannabis, um, you know, um, kind of, uh, greenhouse if you will just because he gets you know some people farm tomatoes and they get multiple kind of takes he'll get one crop and uh just yank everything out and, and um but yeah fun that that kind of balancing um in the in the realm or the concept of molders chart i like it
1: you broke up and phased out a little bit. So I think you said that because of the volcano, the air was actually affecting the crop. So he adjusted his, uh, his nutrient input to, to counterbalance that in his own opinion. And it worked.
3: Yeah. Yeah. He doubled up on tons of, tons of nutrients. It, it was, uh, it was very cool. Good farmer.
0: So, so other than that, is there any other, um, Secret or unusual KNF recipes you'd like to share, and then after that, I'll share one. Um,
3: <laughs> yeah, share another. I mean, there's there's things I'm I'm playing with. I'm actually gonna send out some stuff to friends. I'll send one uh, to you guys over there, Steve, and you you can play with it and give me some feedback. Um, there's a lot that needs to be played with. Um, you know, natural farming isn't finished, as Master Joe said to me cruising along, you got to keep going on it, but um, I am going to, you are going to be able to get access to an online class by the summer, um, which is cool, so I'm excited about that.
1: Thank you. Um,
3: Yeah. my. I've been asking for two years. Naturalfarming.co is going to have a, a full on, you know, with a bunch of literature to go with your studies. Um, where you'll be able to go through 40 hours of of training and and really for those that just can't travel to a, an in person class I still um, for for teaching agriculture, touching and tasting and smelling. Um, I still believe in that as far superior but everybody just can't be there can can't get and and that's especially with the way the world is right now, you know, it just it made it make a little more sense so um, I am going to do that. And um, uh, additionally, in August, if you can come out, it's, it's a pretty cool party, you know, and um, a bunch of um, growers that are successfully growing natural farming will be there, past students to uh, answer questions and stuff. So, there's a couple things I'm working on. And uh, yeah, but no, no other uh, tricky things. I, I have a lot of stuff that I play with that I'm interested in, but. Um, I've, I've come by um, trial and error to realize that I got to be careful talking about those kind of things without complete explanation, because I just get kicked in the teeth with people, uh, people doing things wrong and then saying, wait, and it's like, you didn't understand what I was saying. (laughs) We'll, we'll talk more about those, Steve.
1: Well, we're on your side about that because, you know, it's nice that you reach out and then you say, you know, it needs to be played with and all. And, you know, nobody can really blame you because every grower has to learn to do this stuff for themselves. You know, no matter how much information you share, how many years you do it to share with people, you're always going to have those people to look for you to say, to try to turn it around to where you've made a mistake and it costs them their grow. And they need to take responsibility for their own grow because they, I don't know anybody that I know that, you know, kind of I mean, you got your own business and all that, but you give a lot to a lot of people. I know for a fact because I've been around so with you for a while now, and and I I can tell you they can all kiss my butt if they think you made a mistake. And don't listen to Chris anymore. Then just don't listen to him if you don't you know if, if you're not willing to own your own mistakes. Just you know, forget about it. Sorry, that's a so Southern redneck coming out of me. You know, defending my. I birth, love it. My let's hear
3: let's face. hear your stuff, uh, Mr. Uh... Yeah, no, I I appreciate that, Roger. I I I've come to learn to just like uh, I used to have a, a business teacher that said like water off a duck's back. You just let it let it roll off your shoulders, and yeah. so I'm I'm learning that. And uh, I don't know for whatever reason sometimes I feel those things and hold, you know let them, let them affect me. But I think you're right. Just water off a duck's back with uh, with the, the stones that are thrown. Um, yeah. Well, you've
1: shared a lot that people would charge for even all the all the all the how-to videos you did the time it took you to do them i mean they're really nice down-to-earth homebody kind of things and people love it and you got a lot of followers you know so you know you're gonna have naysayers but i guarantee you that's all you're hearing is the naysayers there's thousands and thousands of people out there going we love chris for what he shares with us and what we've learned from him and you know, Thank you for that. Being fortunate, thanks to Steve, to being part of the show and having talked to you and seen you at the conferences we've been at before. It's been a real treat, you know, and, and seeing what you do, you know, and, and, I, and I've, I've, you know, gone, I fully love it. You know, the more you do and I can't wait to do some of these tests and stuff like that, but I'll be selling some tickets to your online class when you get it going because there's Thank a lot of know. us that can't make it up to Idaho, you know, especially even in August, we're still growing down here. That's only like no. the middle of the season.
0: <laughs> no, I'm going to try to make it to Idaho, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, I want to. I mean, I, there'd be nothing more I want to do than go to your farm in Idaho, man. I'm telling you. But but I don't know yeah. if we can do it.
0: We'll have to see
1: how the virus thing goes, too. You know, that's a, uh, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be, I don't care what anybody says. Uh, to, the
0: T-virus could be taking over. Uh...
1: Yeah, we'll just wait and see. I'm gonna t- I'm going to play it safe until it's, you know whatever i'm just gonna grow my food here on the farm this year and and uh yeah but i know in august i'll be i'll be you know that that august is kind of funny that's when it actually is hotter than shit but it's getting ready to be cool any day you know so you get into that second wave where your produce kicking ass and stuff like that you know but
3: um, it'll, be huh? it'll be warm it'll oh, be warm it'll be warm out here in august
1: oh yeah you're yeah well see i'm i'm in carolina you know, so yeah, we don't know if you remember that or not, but uh yeah, believe me, it's warm here in August. <laughs> no telling it's though it's nice 50 out. degrees. Right now it's I'm in here, it's it's May. We're into May and and it's 50 something degrees outside right now. We're having the weirdest spring, or you know, uh, it's just weird. Yeah, it's like it, it was 90 degrees two days ago. Today was 65. And tonight's in the 50s. We might even get to the high 40s, you know, in frickin' South Carolina, you know, zone eight, I'm like, you know, kind of, you know, it's
3: crazy weird. Yeah. Yeah, I was bummed out. I had a frost uh, last night and it wasn't on the forecast. Like, oh, it killed yeah. a bunch of things.
1: Yeah, that mama got upset. We heard, yeah, yeah. I remember. I know how that is, though. It's just this way, that's why we talked earlier about the date of starting things too, you know, learning how, one of the first things we talked about tonight was uh, learning how to, you know, when to start and when to plant, you know, when to be able to plant safely outside. But you take a risk, you know, sometimes you take a risk, but it's, all you got to tell the wife is that, hey, that's farming and it's part of the fun of learning that now you know it's, uh, it could happen good or you could get killed by a problem.
3: You know, I've come to learn that you can tell people that's farming. You can tell people farming's hard. You can tell people there's a lot to learn with farming that you got to learn by doing. And Until they start doing it, they don't have a clue what you're talking about.
1: It, the same thing is people out there, farming is great. I love it. I won't, wouldn't take back any of it in the last 15 to 20 years, but I'll say this. Do know this if you actually get serious about farming beyond your little backyard garden or your indoor garden, there are no days off. Mm.
0: You know, you'll never that, have
3: that and you're gonna you're gonna spill some. So yeah. so
0: we you're had a question. Them. We had a question from chat. Is there any good brands or sources of insect frass that we recommend? Uh his strawberries are yearning.
1: Nice.
3: <laughs> I nice. I'll pitch that to you, Steve. <laughs>
0: If you want a, an off-the-counter one that you can get throughout the country, my, my go-to would be Down to Earth. As far as I'm aware, they are the one mm-hmm. with the largest distribution network that provides insect frass. As far as a singular company in the United States that I'm aware of, um, I'm sure there's a bigger one, but that's the biggest one I can think of off the top of my head at you know, 11 and 30 at night. So um, I would say Down to Earth, the uh, insect frass on Amazon is probably going to be a respite. Steve,
3: what what are these things you're working on? Tell me about it.
0: So, so yeah, so I thought I'd give secrets. you guys one. So I've been working on some phycocyanin isolate. Um, I like to call it super labs, which is basically labs plus phycocyanin plus uh, some of your other hormones you get from some other goodies. So we take uh, four gallons of milk. And we take two cups of a seaweed, seaweed or kelp extract and then four cups of spirulina. And then put that all together. And then we also add um, either lactobacillus Mm -hmm. culture or uh, kefir. uh, If you can get kefir grains, Uh, either one will work just fine. Uh, And then you wait anywhere from three to seven days, depending on temperature and the type of culture that you have. And it will separate into uh, three separate layers. So you have your cheese on top. Then you'll have your blue phycocyanin isolate layer. And then you'll have kind of like your milkier or la, normal labs layer because the the phycocyanin will separate above the labs um, and then you can you can siphon that off and then you use that on your damaged plants or your moms or your plants and veg your plants in transition uh, and, and anything like that and it'll rapidly accelerate plant growth uh, immensely because remember phycocyanin is one of the most type uh, i'm sorry it's been a long day, uh, <laughs> one too many dabs. So hard, um, it, <laughs> uh, phycocyanin is one of the most um, complex molecules for the plant to make in terms of, of getting to chlorophyll A through E, uh, your chlorophyll groups. So by providing the plants with a baseline of, of phycocyanin uh, uh, via the root system or foliarly, uh, you can you know, dramatically accelerate growth rate. Um, so by, uh, you know, brewing your own and using a lactobacillus to isolate the phycocyanin, you can organically make something that is not only uh, really good for joint inflammation, if you have arthritis, but it's also good for plant growth.
3: Awesome. man. Hey, real quick. Can you tell me the, the ratios of those <laughs> ingredients again?
0: Sure. So we use four gallons of milk, With two cups of kelp extract or seaweed extract, depending on what you have available, Uh, and then uh, four cups of spirulina extract uh, or or dried powdered spirulina Uh, and what the lactobacillus separates the phycocyanin and stabilizes it uh, into a, a form that is separatable without having to use fire or flame.
3: That's awesome. Did
1: you freeze? What was the second ingredient? Yeah, yeah You can also do
0: hippies. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing dye if you want to dye your clothing in blue. <laughs> that's awesome.
1: <laughs> what was the second ingredient again, Steve? Because I decided to write it down too
0: kelp extract and spirulina.
1: Kelp, kelp. Okay, that's what it was.
0: Kelp. Yeah. yeah. So the kelp extract, you're getting the hormones that help with the uptake. And the the spirulina, you're getting the the direct phycocyanin isolation, um, and the spirulina is, is your microbial mechanism of isolation. So, I, I, again, this is why I like to encourage people: don't don't think about KNF so much as a direct this plus this equals that. When you're first getting started, a thousand percent, just follow what Chris says and and follow it to the T to get the results that you expect to get. But Once you're comfortable doing that, then make a second batch separate from the one that you're relying on for production. And I want to emphasize that separate Uh, from the one you're relying on for production. (laughs) Yep. For experimentation, then make a separate grow plot with a control group, and and I'm sure Wendy is listening to this somewhere. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. With a control group that is equal in size to the one that you are using for your test group. And then uh, making sure that that's split 50-50 and then testing that with whatever you do. But test different things. If you're doing lactobacillus, I love adding things like um, uh, horsetail. Uh, horsetail is an incredible way to unlock silica and, and ferment that. You, know, you can do uh, rice, um, rice shells in, in lactobacillus is another great way to unlock silica. Uh, you can do all, de- uh, uh, I've heard people doing comfrey and and all types of other ones that you traditionally use in compost, but doing them in a lactobacillus ferment to make them rapidly available. And again, you can experiment with it and think of it like a machine where you can put in additional inputs to create all different types of isolated plant hormones and auxins and all different types of, of beneficial things that the plants will will use and, and extract from other different types of plants and, and you know we we know how well ter- uh, cannabis incorporates uh, other types of uh, compounds uh, already so this can be a great way to rapidly boost it and i think that ultimately you're going to see a, a methodology with korean natural farming where we can say hey i can make a a water-soluble potassium for my potassium input a water-soluble uh, calcium from my calcium input a water for soluble uh, phosphorus from my phosphorus input and we can start replacing all of those synthetic nutrient inputs with, with ferments based on specific plant inputs you know think about it like this a- another great example would be stinging nettle in fact i have somebody over here <laughs> <laughs> you're like me let me go yeah, run and yeah. get this out so, yeah there's yeah, yeah. some baker creek stinging nettle okay, you can get this on rareseeds.com or bakercreek.com. Okay, I can grow this and ferment it with some lactobacillus or even just an FPJ and unlock a whole lot of iron for my plants, as well as other minerals. So uh, this is the type of way I think is the future of both not only aquaponics, but living soil as well, you know, uh, replacing a lot of the traditional mineral inputs with these types of fermented and plant-based inputs directly and and chris excuse me chris and i were talking about this with potassium but explain how that's kind of different methodology between thinking about ppms and and just availability in general or or increasing uptake because that was a great great thing that we talked about a couple days ago that i think is really relevant to the conversation
3: yeah yeah you're asking me you know what's a ppm and um you you're wanted for Um, just so you don't get toxicity. But um, I'm just talking a little bit about looking after these things in the realm of PBM. Um, You know, in uh, conventional agriculture, for example, I can get a 30-30-30 fertilizer and throw it on. Um, But um, the real important thing is how much of that is translated into yield or plant uptake and uh the answer to that is about 20 percent right um, yeah in a in a conventional fertilizer and and that's expected and and relied upon and acceptable based on you know just current farming practices but um with these ferments um you know what you're doing is you're not cooking it you're not um you're not um, applying some solvent to try and break something out where you're destroying you know, beneficial biochemicals, et cetera. Um, and these fermentations, especially these really controlled fermentations where you're using this specific amount of sugar so you don't go super high in alcohol, et cetera, you're preserving all of these nutrients. But then a, a process happens because of the microbes doing the work called micronization. It's a real word Um, and nutrients are micronized. Um, In in the plant kingdom, that's how nutrients work. That's how they're taken up um, and absorbed. And um, a lot of these nutrients are easily absorbed in uh, on on foliar applications because of how fine the particles are. And because the, the process they came through to get there is a natural process, a process where they're they're in their proper uh, ratios, if you will. If you apply some solvent, you might pull out a um, a nutrient, but it still then needs to be broken down to be available to the plant. You know, there's another step. Whereas um, the micronization uh, through fermentation, you have this kind of ready food. And so, to take something like nettle or or some um, these FBJs, or to um, extract using acetic acid, um, you know some of this potassium, or just take potassium into water um, through that biochar process we talked about at the beginning of the show. Cool. Um, you know, your these are these are highly available. So instead of you getting twenty percent and and the rest of it being latent in the soil, and you hope you get it on your next crop, um, you're getting full, you're getting a, most of it up taken up, you know, or, or instantly available, even if it's not all, you know, some of it falls off the leaf or something, but you're getting it taken up um, or a hundred percent available, if you will, um, because of the microtization through um, that microbe fermentation or um, just the uh, kind of uh, breakdown or solu- solubilized. That's why we call WCA or WCAP. Um, for calcium or calcium phosphate it's water soluble um, which is just not something you can really buy off the shelf you can't you don't get that kind of um, availability on on typical products
1: yeah typically you can have you can get chelates and stuff though though.
0: Can you go over that, that water-soluble uh, fo- potassium again? And, and is there any other alternative ingredients people could use if they don't have access to sunflowers? Or what was the first one that you mentioned?
3: Um, so sesame stalks, you can use... Um, the two that I kind of identified is just my um, kind of addition to um, what I learned in Korea based on an American... Um, kind of growing environment, we typically don't have a lot of sesame being grown. Sesame's grown like crazy in Korea. Um, so what's readily available to us, I think most of the country um, produces sunflowers like it's, you know, you know, there's just tons of them. They're everywhere, especially in Idaho, um, but they grow like crazy. Sunflower, especially the, the head, you know, where it's producing seed, but also the stalk is full of potassium. Um, so is asparagus. Um, so, asparagus, you, you know, um, when, uh, if you're growing an asparagus, there's a big kind of um you, you let some of the fully foli- uh, asparagus go to seed and produce kind of vegetative growth. You don't harvest 100% so that it's photosynthesizing and, and adding energy to that plant root system. Um, at the end of the season, or even at the beginning of the season, you can take some of that um, big big head and um, biochar that that's a great thing to use Um, I'm sure there's more Um, I don't have um, any off the top of my head at the moment but um, look at the um, potassium density of those two plants and find something comparable if you're looking for something in your area um, or those three plants and uh, yeah it's so uh, go ahead
0: and we've talked about this, too, before. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm pulling it up as we speak. There's a really good spreadsheet. I believe it was on Build-A-Soil or Soil King. I don't remember which one. Hold on. I put it up. I, I downloaded it and re-uploaded it to our file section. So it's under, it was put out
3: oh, by... Yeah, plant plant nutrient density, plant specific... Uh, um, plant dynamic accumulators, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, was a great spreadsheet me one second so so if you're
0: looking for how can i boost xyz nutrient if you go to the aquaponic cannabis growers facebook group uh and you go to the file section so it's, uh, it's called the dynamic accumulators nutrient content uh file it's put out by um www.ars-grin.gov um, duke um and
1: university.
0: Uh, yeah by duke yeah. university and uh, they put this lovely spreadsheet out. It has all the different nutrients. You can click on nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, sulfur, calcium, magnesium, silicon, iron, molybdenum, um, boron. Um, wow. One second here. Copper, manganese, sodium, uh, and then they also have comfrey listed separately as well. So uh, it really gives you a wide range of things. You know, some of these are over 200 different. Uh, plants that you can locally source Um, this one i'm looking at here now for calcium is they have over almost 800 different sources for calcium so you know depending on what it is that you're looking for um you know they, they have you covered so Uh, Definitely, if you're looking for other things to source for your uh, ferment uh, searches and you're going to try and figure out, hey, what can I ferment locally in my local environment that maybe maybe I'm not United States, maybe I'm someplace else you can go over to the, the Aquaponic cannabis growers Facebook group, click on the files section, click on that spreadsheet and then find a plant that's on that list for each of the different nutrients and then ferment that. And then again, use that again. This is how we're gonna replace a lot of the minerals that you're gonna find in, in your awesome. bottles in the store.
3: That's awesome. It's a great spreadsheet. Um, and jumping in and, and hitting a drum, all hit forever probably. Keep it simple. If you can get a tons of microbial life and microbial diversity cycling and and working in community in your soil, you're not gonna see tons of nutrient deficiencies. You might still, if you send your soil away, see a soil test deficiency, meaning they'll say, hey, you're deficient in X, Y, or Z, you know, uh, manganese or something but send this tissue sample away and you're not going to see that same nutrient deficiency in the tissue sample as you see represented in the soil sample because you have um plant root relationships with with fungus that is mining and making available some of these minor minerals to these plants and so yes get those these things we're talking about about applying your your calciums and your phosphorus and your potassium and at the same time if you can get your soil in balance and rich in diversity you're going to have a lot less um, nutrient deficiency issues um, even in you know um, what used to be poor soil by the time you have that cycling um, and that level of diversity we're not going to call it poor soil anymore
1: well that's a whole new book of worms right there
0: so I got one last question before we wrap up the show for you Chris um, what so say someone's just getting started maybe they're they're about to germinate their seeds they're going to soak them in water Maybe seed sprout tea and then put them into some uh, seed start blocks or put them in the soil and put them in their garden. What KNF regimen would they do for that first beginning? You know, every, a lot of people are starting their seeds or, or, or have already started their seeds and are early stages of growth. What are maybe the first two stages or three stages of KNF for that initial stage? Should people use lactobacillic acid bacteria for for seeds or should they wait until their post germination? Uh, what should they use pre germination versus post germination with KNF inputs? uh for that initial uh, starting period
3: good question <sighs> great question um so what we use right in that beginning um stage um you know uh think about um so the, so some of the natural farming theory is that um uh, it's, it's kind of poorly translates um from um korean to english but it the the concept translates well and uh is is you and i are one you know the concept that um the animal kingdom and the um
1: plant kingdom
3: plant kingdom are quite similar and so
1: um
3: taking cues and looking at the these really over and over similarities between um and the reality that we understand human life cycles better than we understand plant life cycles because they're they're common to us. We live them. And so, um, babies when they are first born, what's the first nutrient they get if they're if they're drinking uh, if they're eating from their mom? What's the very first nutrient okay. they get? Uh, um, no. Uh, colostrum
1: colostrum okay
3: yeah. i'll just guess because milk yeah <laughs> yeah milk has calcium you know and tons of fats and all that no the first thing they get is colostrum it's full of minerals it's not full of a lot of proteins and carbohydrates and and stuff uh and the fats that all all that gangbuster nutrients from milk comes in next the first thing they get is colostrum and um so plants needing very little food, um, in their seed stage and then their, um, stage when they don't have true leaves. Um, so I, I just strongly caution against overfeeding a seedling. Um, you know, uh, so, um, in natural farming, we'd use maintenance <laughs> solution or seed stoke solution. I have a video on it. It's just FPJ, brown rice vinegar, and OHN. Um, Uh, FPJ, 1 to 500. Brown rice vinegar, 1 to 500. OHN, 1 to 1,000. And um, yeah, it's um, very light on food. Um, But it's, um, so yeah, you can soak your seeds in that uh, pre-popping. We've done some studies where um, the plants benefit for their entire life cycle from that initial um, charge of this um, very minor food. But Kind of plant nutrients what i believe is it helps them have some um, goodies to bring to the party as they create relationships um, in their root zone when they go into um, microbial rich environments but um yeah so feeding until they have a, a true leaf or two um, not over feeding them um, uh, letting letting you know if you if you can seed a few extras, but letting plants struggle a little um, when they're very young, um, will help them produce, um, better roots and, um, and, and kind of strive for nutrients. I'm not saying underfeed your plants, um, by any means, but right in the beginning, I I think a common problem is just kind of overfeeding. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And then once they get those true leaves going, um, For those of you just starting natural farming, it's hard because you don't have some of this ready to go, but some fish amino acid um, coming into that FPJ brown rice vinegar and OHN could be great. Um, Main thing though, if you can get your IMO process begun, start start learning that, getting over that learning curve. And um, because um, having, Microbially rich and diverse um, soil is great. If you have nothing but LAB, that's a great soil conditioner, and it can help, especially if you're loading a bunch of nutrients into your soil, Um, it can help kind of um, break down or or make available some of those nutrients. Um, Yeah, I I think that's a good beginning explanation for people getting going. Um, If you can get so um, if you don't have IMO initially, um, uh, a great substitute, um, you know, in a pinch is vermicompost. The, the higher quality, the better. If you can get something real, you have a friend with a vermicompost band, Um I, I think vermicompost can help with some good um, microbial life, but also kind of nutrient rich, um, but not, but still in balance. Worms kind of help keep things in balance in their own environment, so. Um, decent vermicompost can be a good uh, substitute if you don't have IMO
0: nice yeah somebody from chat says uh, breast milk is the indigenous endocannabinoids
3: (laughs) awesome
0: that's awesome well I appreciate you taking the time to join us why don't you tell everybody how to find you and, and what you're up to tomorrow
3: Yeah, um, you can find me at Soil Steward, um, S-T-E-W-A-R-D, on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook, um, and I have a company, Natural Farming Co., or a company, and you can find that at naturalfarming.co. There's a bunch of free downloads on there, especially when people are just getting started. Um, what materials do I need to make LAB? And it's just kind of simple material list, like get a strainer, get a, you know, all the stuff to kind of put together so that you're not running around when you already got st- stuff ready to strain or, or whatever. Um, and then some of the videos are linked there. You can also find me on YouTube if you search Chris Trump. And, uh, yeah, tomorrow I'm going to talk at from 12 to probably two with Tina. Um, her Instagram tag is at Lala grows. And then from three mountain time, I'm talking mountain time. So I don't know where you guys are, but from three to five, I am going to jump on with the future cannabis project and talk with them, um, about a whole bunch of things. So, um, that will be there's some, you know, um, you know, people that, that have some issues with natural farming sometimes, um, are on that show or are going to be talking to, and and uh, there's another really cool guest that I don't know, um, I, I've not before, but he's going to be talking about what he's up to, and so that, that tomorrow will be a whole bunch of uh, talking about things, I think, on the Instagram. At 12, I'm going to walk around the place and show just some ideas for where to collect FPJ, and then I am going to demonstrate that WSK, water-soluble potassium, on the show with her.
0: Wonderful, and and for those of you guys that don't know, Future Cannabis Project has done a ton of amazing content. Chris and I both have done independent and uh Joint videos together. We did a whole video on aqua, on K N F and aquaponics over on Future Cannabis Project. Um, so uh, if you're looking for great content, they're another another wonderful source of education aside from Chris Trump's channel and myself. Uh, they are another great resource if you're out there looking for uh, other people to learn from. So uh, thanks again, Chris, for joining us. Uh, Roger, why don't you tell everybody how to how to find you?
1: Oh, you can come in. <clears throat> Latewood at Marijuana.com. You can find me at ilovegrowingmarijuana.com. I have an Instagram account. I don't really do much there because I'm not able to post the way I want to. So I'm more, keep up with my friends. But we have a Facebook account. And um, I also have started a group that's really kicking off. And actually, it's going to be neat with the, with natural farming ideas and aquaponics. I kind of started a uh, a rain gutter grow system forum after I got banned from the original years ago on Facebook, <laughs> and because I was actually trying to teach about growing a little bit more than the basic thing, and uh, it's starting to I'm getting like thirty five, fifty members a day requests, and it's going they're starting to go crazy a little bit, so it's really neat because they the whole idea is you put compost in a bucket basically with a net pot and wick out of a rain gutter. You know your 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 uh your moisture so i was thinking boy knf methods would really go great with that build up compost so i mean it's doing compost but then implement it like that similar to what steve and marty and everybody's been doing with the dual root zone you know because that's basically what the dual root zone is taking aquaponics and putting a root zone on top of the water flow and then feeding it with knf and compost teas and stuff like that so you know, yeah, so it's really becoming this whole idea of natural farming, regardless of what you call it, you know, KF, natural farming, whatever everybody's got a new name for it now because it's getting more popular every day. Yeah,
0: no. And and to further back that up, I'll be talking about in my book and I haven't talked about much of it publicly, but aquatic IMOs and taking the same way that we think about doing IMO collection in soil, applying it to aquatic soil and aquatic microbiomes and collecting those, those local mineralizing bacteria from your local waterways in a way that, that, you know, still keeps you pathologically safe and, And I've been working on testing a whole wide range of those things. And I'll be revealing a lot of that in the book. We'll be releasing the second half of this
3: year. Awesome.
1: Neat. We're looking forward to that. Because we, I live in an area where there's water everywhere. I got well, like, canals, it, it, rivers, and lakes all around. And, and, I, and
0: if you look at aquariums and aquaponics, everyone talks about Nitrosoma, and Nitrospira. Well, that's nitrogen, right? That's that's one seventeenth of the mic of all the microbes you need to account for, and that's not counting trace minerals, right? So, <laughs> so that's just nitrogen. So we're not talking about phosphorus, which I would highly recommend Mammoth P if you're doing anything in aquaponics, and then a W uh, water soluble potassium, which was Chris is going to talk about tomorrow and talked about on the show and then so on and so forth. So this is where it really gets down the rabbit hole and, and, and you can replace all the things that people go and spend money on in the store with these types yeah. of, of replacements. So this kind of is the future of where everything's kind of going in agriculture, not just in aquaponics, not just in living soil, but but agriculture in general.
1: Water soluble potassium is just so badass because it's going to do away with sulfate of potash. If you wanted to do organic hydroponics
0: so well and then not only that but look at the difference just, just, just to show you how much microbes make a difference look at the difference between the minimum parts per million you need for aquaponics versus hydro uh to get lettuce or, or tomato or cannabis crop it's night and day different sometimes they're five times the levels in hydroponics you know just because that microbe makes it that much more bioavailable uh, so that, that's really what's key and where they're kind of missing the piece of the puzzle that they're always missing in hydro and why hydro always has kind of missed the boat when it comes to flavor or potency or or mm. you know maybe not necessarily size but certainly flavor and potency it's never quite hit those same levels that that you know soil does
1: possibly in cannabis but i wouldn't agree necessarily with tomato but yeah, with cannabis, I would say, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to argue. There's good, great
0: ta- taste. But that, anyways, I was trying to wrap up the show. Uh, Chris Trump, did, did you have any other ways that people wanted to reach you before we let you go?
3: No, it's great, man. Um, if, if you have some sort of formal inquiry or you want to uh, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at a project or something, you can email me at Chris at um, Yeah instagram i get a lot of questions people just want help i, I try and answer all those and facebook too but yeah if you're if you want something uh done comprehensively it's a good way to get a hold of me email
0: awesome appreciate it and you can reach mr green jeans you can check him out at mr green jeans and then you can find marty at ap meds on patreon uh youtube or uh, uh i believe gmail as well and, and instagram
1: August August
0: group. and the agaponic canvas growers group uh him and i both are over there as moderators uh, and then you can find me at potent Ponics, youtube soundcloud itunes all the different places that you find and listen to podcasts or on you youtube if you want the video format um and occasionally we upload the video format in other places when i have time i'm thinking about just getting a fiverr account and then hiring someone to do a lot of this kind of re-upload work which shit for fifteen extra bucks a month. I think that might cover a lot of the extra stuff that's we've been kind of missing lately while I've been traveling. So uh, I'm all settled here. expect a lot more live content, a lot more video content, a lot more IPM content. just a lot more content in general while I'm over here in uh, in Oklahoma. So uh, we're gonna be doing five acres of outdoor here shortly along with uh, putting up two more greenhouses. so, We'll have a lot of really cool content, both aquaponic uh, builds from scratch as well as uh, five acres of outdoor being done with living soil uh, as organically as possible. So, uh, look forward to that. Uh, thank everyone for w- watching. Um, you know, uh, we work really hard for this. Uh, it's been a long week. This time of year is very taxing on everyone. <laughs> very long days for sure. So, uh, thanks a lot. And we'll catch you guys again uh, next week.